Welcome everybody to another episode of Cube and Chaos. This time we'll be mostly talking Cube and we have another guest. So with me today is Matt Grenier. Uh, I hope I pronounced it correctly. Yeah, it's good enough. I say Grenier, good but Grenier? Uh, whatever you feel like saying is good. No, no, Grenier then. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to learn. And yeah, he's a member of our community and I think by this point, probably by factor of two, the player with the uh, most hosted cube drafts. Yeah. So yeah, and also with us as always is Max. Hello, Matt. Do you want to kick things off by diving into your your signature spellbook? Sure. It looks like you have some some choices that we might expect from someone who loves vintage cube, but also some, some cards that most people will probably never heard of. So good miss here. That's the best part, man. So first on this list, I have a card that I'm sure very few people in the text see if you've ever seen the card at all. And it's Thalid Devourer, which is a difficult word to pronounce correctly and enunciate all the letters. <laughs> it's a green, green one from Fallen Empires. It's a two-two. And it has a bunch of Fallen Empires text, as most of these cards do. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, <laughs> put a spore counter on a Thalid Devourer. So it's a, it's a Thalid. It also has the Thalid text to remove three spore counters from Thalid Devourer. Or make one with Sapperling, which is important. And then you get, as an additional activated ability, you can sacrifice a Sapperling, and it gets plus one, plus two. To limit. This card is not a good card. Though it's not bad in retrospect, right? Like, compared to other cards that existed at the time period, this card is, like, decent rate. Yeah, for that yeah, set itself. Pick and Master's that's... Edition, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I never, I never actually got to play this card. And it has a persistent card advantage ability. So as far as a creature goes from 1994, it's pretty dang good. But it's really not. It wasn't good even then. I'm just saying, like, compared to Brass Color Orcs or something, which is also from the same set, it's, mm. it's much better. <laughs> So I suppose as to why I included this card. I started playing Magic. I was thinking about this yesterday. Probably in August or September of 94. I was 10 years old. And Fallen Empires was the first set that came out after I started playing. I bought a revised starter and some packs. And, you know, I was playing with a couple friends. And it was exciting that the, the next expansion was coming out. I had seen cards from Legends of the Dark. By the time I started playing, Legends was already kind of iconic and incredibly hard to find. But you're 10, <laughs> so like, how is your reach yeah. anyway? Like, yeah, I, yeah. you don't have a lot of resources. But still, it's just very rare. Which is funny, because it came out like three months before that. But the... So Fallen Empire is coming out, and I'm excited. And I buy a bunch of boosters for it. I end up trying to collect the whole set. And it didn't, I didn't get everything, but I got a lot of it. And you, you only have so many opportunities to do that kind of thing when you're a kid. Yeah. But the packs were cheap, right? So I bought them and I got a good amount. So one, this card kind of represents my initial introduction to magic. The art is, towards time, uh, I think a lot of it earlier is very good, actually. But this art was used in promo for this set in some magazines. It's by Ron Spencer, kind of a hotshot artist of the time. So the art is evocative, as is a lot really of really cool, yeah. And uh, it kind of, even though like it, it represents kind of what I initially drew me into magic, there's a lot here that I think still kind of ticks a lot of the boxes of what I would want magic to be. And that it's a creature. I love creatures. Creatures are my favorite card type. And it does things. It's not just rate, right? And so mm -hmm. it gives you some levers you can pull and make the game more interesting. And when we get to talk about my cube, I think this card is actually kind of like a prototype for the exactly the kind of card I want in my cube. It's a creature, so therefore it's easier to interact with and plays the game naturally and gives you abilities that you can do other than attack and block. So, yeah, it's the first yeah. card. I want to comment a little bit on that card. I did not remember it. I did play a little bit of Master's Edition 2, but I don't really remember this one. I don't know. Maybe I just didn't really play green. I don't know. But it's a really cool design for its time, especially. Like, the threat of activation is real here. Like, this is almost a... Uh, a, a wind dragon green like it's pretty hot <laughs> <laughs> 
high praise, right? <laughs> Almost another... when Drake and Green. There's a very similar card, right? In Thalid Germinator. You, you go down a green pip, still three mana, of course, and then anything you can give plus one plus one instead of giving itself plus one plus two. Mm-hmm. That card, I think, is a little more obnoxious because, you know, kind of turns combat into something your opponent just <laughs> doesn't really want to deal with. But you, know, you still have threat of activation, but it's not like every single creature is now like a right. huge Yeah. If you lived through Fallen Empires and even for decades after, it was kind of like trashed on as maybe the worst set ever. <laughs> Even though it's like very near the vicinity of Homelands, it's much better than Homelands. I think Fallen Empires was actually like decades ahead of its time as far as card design. I think its play design is very poor, as we might put it in modern terms. But it's no different than any of the other sets that are being released at the time. Yeah. Like if you look at what the set is trying to do, it's trying to use alternative resources like tokens and counters in a way that had never been done before. And it goes on to, if you take the model of Fallen Empires and then you you compare it to Rise of the Eldrazi, they're very similar. They're both trying to put things on, like put junk, non-card resources on the table and then maximize the way for you to use them. Mm -hmm. I really love Fallen Empires. I mean, it's also with the flavor in Fallen Empires, right? That like... Oh, it's so good. There's nothing else and everybody's going for the scraps and like the small things that matter. Yeah, so for those not familiar, the, the flavor of Fallen Empires is that post the detonation of the Golgothian Silex, which is very relevant to the upcoming magic set, right? Which is essentially the nuclear bomb that Urza sets off to end the Antiquities War. Brings about more or less a nuclear winter and affects climate change. And the story of Fallen Empires is about how the five different colored factions, how they deal with climate change. And so in green, this card, Deladvour is a green card. It's about the elves uh, trying to find a way to maintain their food source. So they make these creatures called phthalates, which make saplings and saplings be eaten as food. So they essentially make a slave race to give them food. And then eventually the phthalates understand what's happening. They rebel against the elves. I may have missed some details. But each color is infighting. So like white has a has a religious faction that's fighting against the, the kind of traditional knightly order. And black has the cultists and then the thrill, their thrill slaves rising up against them. Um, it's a very clever political story without being overtly political. And it, it does the ma- early magic thing of like creating a world for you to live in rather than telling you a story. Yep. All right. Next up, a card more people know, I guess. Uh, Necropotence. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a card I always do have to read again, like how exactly it works. Yeah. Necropotence is the first card that I like to play competitively. But when I say this, it wasn't like saga kind of the, the donate necropotence thing that went on with uh, illusions of grandeur this was swamp dark ritual draw three next turn abyssal specter it, this was tempest block standard so like true model black community it just happened to have necropotence as a card advantage engine very similar to how later on phyrexian arena would work it's the first card i went out of my way to get four of and play regularly like fnm it kind of in a way signaled the kind of decks I like to play, which are these these mid-range black decks, even though it, it's also like very representative of myself because I'm taking this super broken card and trying to do something fair with it. Because you can do much more, but be- you can do much better things with Necropotence than draw like, draw two cards a turn. You draw ten cards and win the game, right? <laughs> That's how it's most rumored for. Right. Next up, I have Goblin Matron, and the Goblin Matron I have on here because I think one of the qualities I like in a Magic card is that it makes me laugh. Particularly the original art by Dietrich Lizzie, who is another great early Magic artist, is really great. It also manages to be a good card despite being a three mana one one. Goblin Matron, of course, is a red and two. 1-1 one, one, Goblin, just a Goblin. And when it comes into play, you tutor your deck for a Goblin card. 
So you can, uh, if you're cheeky, and find a tar fire if you want. Which, which one? The original one is the one from Saga? Or uh, the one I believe from Saga is the first. I could be wrong. Maybe Portal is the first printing. Yeah, the, but you're talking yes, about the correct. Saga art the for Saga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this card is silly and good at the same time. It's never great, but magic can frequently be too spiky, like Zin. We forget sometimes that <laughs> the game can have humor. And it's nice when <laughs> the two things can mix like when you i don't expect to ever like win everything with a goblin deck but some people they're very good with them they're much better than i am but i expect to have a good time playing goblins you know we just need to make uh, mark rosewater here the the last thing you said there uh, <laughs> you should oh, yeah. higher <laughs> i will say though something that we might end up talking about later the peasant cube draft that we did of, of Jakob's cube the mad peasant I did have a Goblin Matron mm. in my deck, and it was quite good, so... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, despite being a 3 minute 1-1, it manages card. Maybe not every power level. Like, I, I don't expect something like this to show up very well supported in, in anyone's Vintage Cube, but something like a Peasant Cube or a Popper Cube, sure. Well, you say that, but I've slowly been campaigning with our friend Opa, because he has a Vintage Cube that's, like, more combo-oriented. More, like, classic combo-oriented, let's say. Yeah. So things like Food Chain, Show and Tell, Tendrils. Mm. We were talking about it, like how do you make this cube good as its express purpose which is to have combos happen and i said well hey okay the first thing you have to do is make sure aggro doesn't win every game because it's <laughs> going to like we will get to this but like if you put all the best cards of magic in a cube white and red will win like 70 percent of the time because it has the best cards at this point in time and it can kill faster than basically anything so you have to like keep in mind that the, you have to put the reins on those two colors if your goal is to make combo successful and i said why don't you make every red creature a goblin <laughs> that you can even play like some kind of food chain goblin deck with recruiter and exactly stupid things like that i don't even know you think about electromancer right grum gully goblins are a combo yep. tribe. That's true. It still seems like an extremely strict constraint on the unread creatures, though. Well, I think it would still be a good aggressive. Like, you still get Rabble Master and Legion War Boss and Squee, the new Squeeze. Mm, yeah. I don't know, but it, when people are spending time mystical tutoring, you don't need to play good creatures. You just need to play <laughs> a creature. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next up, I have Ramosian Sergeant. To be honest, I really wasn't playing during the time of Rebels. I played Ramosian Sergeant a little bit later. Talk about the card here. Ramosian Sergeant's a one mana, a one white, one one. And it's a rebel, which is its most important type. It's a human rebel. And activated ability, three and tap. Search your library for a rebel card with converted mana two cost or less and put it into play. And then shelf your library, of course. So Rebels is of its time, like from Mask's block, the super OP white weenie strategy that ended up, I think, maybe playing differently than they expected. But I could be wrong on that. <laughs> and you would, there's a chain. You would fetch out Defiant Falcon off of Ramosian Sergeant and then Defiant Falcon to confine then Civi Defiant Hero. And then Civi just dominates the game because you get to put creatures directly into play every turn. You never break again. You can always use all your mana every turn. It's pretty gross. And all the while you get to hold up counter magic. So. <laughs> it's not really a part of the experience that I have. The I I am acquainted with Rebels. We actually had Time Spiral Remastered Flashback on Magic Online not very long ago. And I think I drafted it. Mm -hmm. I think one Rebel deck and it trophied. And it was, well, maybe I drafted two Rebel decks. The point is never brick. You, you always have more action. And you don't really need to play spells from your hand. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. Just you get a bonus card every turn. But you got to find a way to use it that doesn't yeah. use mana. But I didn't realize that uh, this deck was paired with blue for counter magic. That makes a lot of sense. Though that's not something that really shows up in Time Spiral. I think. Yeah. Counter spell absorb when city promotion sergeant factor fiction. This seems <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So I, I put this card in here because I I'm not actually playing a lot of competitive magic in like a sanctioned sense. It was my one PTQ success story is in 2003 uh, we were playing extended and at that point in time extended was maybe one of the most broken formats ever it had mirrodin had just come out so ticker is like all gassed up and then you have oath of druids and that for, for those not familiar with this oath deck you would oath you'd play oath mill until you get the card uh, battlefield scrounger and so battlefield scrounger has a activated ability with threshold you can put three cards from your graveyard on the bottom of your oh, deck oh yeah right uh, and it, it gets plus three plus three so like who cares <laughs> So then you act on your following turn, you activate Oath again and mill your entire deck. And then you just start activating Scrounger and stacking your deck with like Time Warp, Time Warp, Counter Spell or some variation. <laughs> so it's like kind of like, it's <laughs> Doomsday, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Doomsday, <laughs> we found it. So that was a deck. Hermit Druid was a deck where you'd go like, you'd go City of Brass, Mox Diamond, Hermit Druid. Next turn, mill your entire deck because you have no basics. Have Sutured Ghoul go into the graveyard. You could cast Stitch together from your hand to reanimate it. And then the Dragons of Breath, the Enchantment from Scourge would come into play and you'd attack for 20 oh. on turn two. <laughs> so then there's like Psychotog with Isochron and Counterspell. There's Goblins with Food Chain and Recruiter. So there's lots of wow, broken things. Recruiter being on. legal in that. <laughs> 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 so I, at that time, I was on IRC, and I don't, I don't remember the person anymore, but the they hooked me up with this deck list, which was basically White Beanie, and it had Ramosian Sergeant and Whip Quarter, Defiant Falcon, and Civi, uh, and a card we'll talk about in a little bit, for Parallax Wave. Oh, wow. And it has Stifle. It was the only blue card was Stifle, and no one really knew to play around Stifle's point in time, so they'd like fetch need Stifle internal. And then like Enlightened Tutor Package, so you would Enlighten Tutor up, all these kind of Silver Bullets. And at minimum, like Crusade, but you get Serenity or Energy Flux versus Dinker uh, and other hate cards in general. And I ended up top eighting that PTQ with it. I at least lost in the quarterfinals, but it was semifinals. I don't know, the second round of top eight. I don't play much. But the best story from that tournament was this deck also played four Chrome Mocks because Chrome Mocks had just come out. And because I had an Enlightened package in it, I had a one chill main deck. So I'm playing against a player that I played against earlier in the Swiss, and I know they're playing Goblins. So I shuffle up and I'm on the play on game one. And I draw my opening hand and it has Island, Chromox, Chill, and four other cards. I just go, turn one, Island, Chromox, Chill. And they were not happy about that. They called the judge. But lo and behold, they still actually did have that Chill in my main deck list. And, uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, so the Ramosian Sergeant I have in here because like one of the few times I did play competitive magic. I, it was my success with this card. But I do think someone asked on Twitter, and it was one of those Wizards people. I'm not sure who. What card do you think best represents white? And I, I offered this card as my example because white is all about strength through unity and not strength of the individual. So Ramosian Sergeant shows that like things can start small with this one mana 1-1, one, one, but through teamwork, you can build up a massive army and you can win the game despite overwhelming odds. And so that's, to me, this represents what white white means from a philosophical standpoint. I like your like narrative interpretations of cards like Goblin Matron and Ramosian Sergeant. This is stuff that I wouldn't have thought of on my own, <laughs> for sure. So what's next? Oh, Dark Confidant? This is less exciting. I like Dark Confidant. <laughs> it, it draws extra cards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We all love it. <laughs> yeah, Dark Confidant. I guess I don't have too much to say about it. It's, I, I guess, the, actually, the most interesting thing to say is that 
I started cubing in like 2011. So like January or February, 2011. I played a lot of cube for two or three years after that. And it was pretty conventional wisdom that Dark Confident was bad in cube. And in fact, black was quite poor in yeah. cube in general. And now it's so much better. It's, <laughs> it's like one of my top 25 cards or so. It's like, I remember a game recently where I was against Mono Green. I'm on the draw. It's game three, I think. My hand is five lands, Mox Jet, Dark Confidant. I'm like, snap cube. And then just totally destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but green that happens. yeah exactly what are they gonna do like if i'm beast within it's not in the cube anymore <laughs> confidant's awesome right it's a cheap creature two mana creatures are my favorite card type it has a value ability it's perfect it's like one of the perfect matching designs and then there's always yeah. like the gamble of the upkeep trigger it's fun exactly exactly i think dark confidant is a lot of fun because you don't have a choice yeah you have to like find your way around it like it makes for really fun game states yeah which Newer versions which allow you to skip the trigger, for example, or I don't know, look first, or I don't know, something like that. They they don't have that. Right. And I don't actually think it's that much of a feels bad when you get killed by your dark confidant. Right. Like that happens to me often enough, but like it's just part of the price you yeah. pay. And it's great. <laughs> yeah, because it puts like this mana game that you willingly walk into. Like that card in Mana Crypt in particular in Cube, like you're not gonna not play that, but yeah. You're going to play them and be like, okay, well, I'm probably going to win, but I better do it soon. And uh, maybe I have to find a way to get out of my own problem. Like one of the things yeah. that Black used to do more often is have these kind of devil's bargains in their cards. And as you say, they kind of have buyout clauses now. They didn't used to. If you wanted to get out of that contract, you had to find a way to sacrifice something. It's possible that for the bigger part of the Magic player base... It's too much of a field bad when stuff like that happens. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that decision is good. But for me personally, I prefer it if it's like non-optional. Yeah. Also, when my opponent has it in play, like I'm rooting for them to get killed by it. Yeah, I don't exactly. have any way to deal with it. And then if you like, if it gets, if they get close to dying, then you finally draw your removal spell to it. It's the interesting spot. <laughs> yeah. It, it just makes the game more dynamic. I don't remember who it was, but on Twitter, when the, the last Soren was spoiled, which has the plus one that's similar, but it's May, like you reveal the card and you may lose the life. It's a, a, a magic player of some renown on Twitter. is like, I'd rather lose the game than not take card. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that in the, the creation of the card, Bob Marr suggested that it, it should be May? Oh. And Mark Rosewater's like, no. <laughs> There has to be a drawback. The the Soren should not be a May. I don't know what it adds to the game, honestly, for it to be May. It it just adds a click <laughs> at the end of the day. Domri Anarchabolus, I have as my next card. And Domri Anarchabolus is a planeswalker from War of the Spark. Don't worry, it's one of the fair ones. And it's a red and green in one. Comes into play with three loyalty. It has a static ability, which I think is great. I love statics on planeswalkers. Uh, creatures you control get plus one plus zero. Plus one, add a red or a green. Creature spells you cast can't be countered this turn. And then minus two, target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. I have this on here because I took a break from Magic from like 2015 to 2018. And when I came back, I played a bit more constructed than I had recently before that because of Arena. Just ease of access, I was able to get a collection and play on, on Arena. Uh, I do think that Arena is really good for that, despite its like reputation for its economy, which I, I will acknowledge, but we're drafters, right? So kind of have the three yeah. cards anyway. So I played a lot of Gruel aggro, really Gruel midrange in, in that standard format i ended up getting like top 10 mythic and on the ladder with it and domri was just really fun to cast and really fun to play i think it's a it could show up in any cube and be a powerful card having a planeswalker that has built-in removal counter magic resistance 
Because in your slower cubes, counter magic is a little more relevant. And then the static is great. Do you know there's another member of our community and um, famous cuber that has this card in their spellbook as well? I did not. Can you guess from the uh, the podcast role over here who who over there might have? Oh, uh, let me take a look here. I mean, Jakob already gave you a huge hint, but... <laughs> no. Who is it? Uh, all right. Well, it's actually Jaybro, who... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this... Uh, this card was really important for him, just the concept of deck building in ramp decks, ramping from one mana to three mana to five mana. The idea of, yeah, like, yeah just you, know, you play your turn one elf or whatever, you want to play this thing turn two, and then it has great utility because you can down tick to fight, but more importantly, on turn three, if you play this turn two, now suddenly you're you're casting your Gargaroth or whatever, and like... <laughs> You know, your opponent's just getting smashed. So Yeah, that's how this played out in standard is you would play Elf, Domri, Nissa. Yeah. Yeah. The sad thing was like Gruel was by far the worst Nissa deck, but because like Simic had access to Hydra Crisis and other crazy cards, and you'd be like, Bainfire, who cares? But <laughs> <laughs> If you want a card that like you would use as your North Star to make a cube, this is not a bad one. And in fact, I think a lot of these War of the Spark Planeswalkers, like Soren, uh, Vengeful Bloodlord, they're a really cool card. It doesn't make games go really long, though, sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, have you watched my cube matches? <laughs> <laughs> You've played them. Yeah, yeah, I have. Okay, so moving on, I have the oldest card on this list, which I didn't put at the beginning because I didn't really play with this card until the last couple of years, and that's Black Lotus. I felt like I should put something that's a nod to the fact that my primary way to interacting with magic at this point is through vintage cube and i think black lotus is probably the most iconic element of that cube or that cube style it's usually the card they put on the splash page on magic online when when vintage cube is up sometimes it's time twister why <laughs> <laughs> that's because the art <laughs> but it's lotus i mean it is the most iconic magic card it's the most well-known card for a variety of reasons one which is price it will probably always elude me as far as owning it I had a friend who I grew up with say we were he and I were always like three years out of financial position to buy power. When we were teenagers, like 13 or 14, power was like $300 a piece. It's like, that's too much money. <laughs> yeah. And then like 15 or like 10 or 15 years later, it's... I remember looking in 2010 or 2011 and buying collector's edition power, and it was like $100 a piece or something. Like, eh, I don't know. Then if you go back and look at prices even then, like Lotus was $1,000. It's like, I have a friend who bought a set of Moxes for roughly $400 a piece in that same late 2000s era. I would write the check right now. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. Here's $3,000. I'm not even talking about reselling the cards. I'm just <laughs> like, just to own them, you know. But now they're all in the multi-thousand dollar so, so I put Lotus on here because I play a lot of Vintage Cube, and I think it's an exciting magic card. And I think it's as balanced as that kind of card can be. <laughs> it is extraordinarily <laughs> broken, and yet you can lose with it. I, well, I've talked about Vintage Cube a lot in the last couple of months, but I, I think the thing I keep saying is like, Vintage Cube is exciting because you can play Black Lotus, but it's even more exciting because you can beat your opponent after they play Black Lotus. And those are the games you remember. Like, when they go something like Mountain Lotus Chandra and you win that game and you're on the draw. It's like, how did that happen? How did I win? <laughs> or if someone yeah. has something crazy like like Lotus Lurus four drop and you win, what happened? And it just shows the range of games that Vintage Cube can have. And Lotus and Fast Mana in general is why that's possible. Yeah. Uh, oh, for those who don't know, Black Lotus is an artifact. 
It costs zero mana. <laughs> and you can tap and sacrifice it to add three mana of any one color. That's it. No drawback. <laughs> no draw. Well, okay. You have to discard a card, essentially. The drawback is you have to tap it, so you can't generate an extra mana with, like, Urza or something. That's true. Also, Manglehorn stops it from activating mm-hmm. the turn you play it. That's true, yeah. That's, a, that's another pet card of Jabra's, actually. Manglehorn? Nice. <laughs> Mangle dangle. <laughs> Finally on this list, I have uh, a recent All-Star Solitude. Everyone's probably so tired of this card anyways at this point, but just for those who don't know, Solitude is white, white, three. It's an elemental. I think it's just an elemental. It's a 3-2 life linker with flash. It's an elemental incarnation. Who knows? It's a 5-mana 3-2 flash lifelink creature. When it comes into play, exile target creature. It's controller gains life equal to its power. It's just swords to flashers. And as evoke, so you has alternate casting cost of exile a white card from your hand, but if you pay the evoke cost, you have to sacrifice it when it comes into play. This card is absurdly broken, uh, and it's come on to, to some degree define modern, this card in Fury. And if we talk about Cuba, I'll point out that I think this card in Fury also defined Vintage Cube at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still like two cards in the in the big cube, so they don't like define it as much as a, as a constructed format, sure. But they are super good and always something you need to be afraid of. Yeah, sure. How do I lose this? Well, Solitude is the answer. Solitude, yeah. <laughs> so I think this card is probably poorly designed, actually. I think it was a death trigger. It would be perfect. But the fact that well, the issue with these elementals in general is that when you do hard cast them, you get the two for one. And then any kind of card disadvantage you signed up for at the beginning is offset later on. That's more of a constructive concern because you're, you're not playing more than one Solitude in your Vintage Cube deck, but you are playing Reanimate, you are playing Recurring Nightmare, you are playing Femorate maybe. So like, yeah, it does matter actually that you do get the value back immediately. Uh, I put this card on here because, well, I don't really believe in the concept of hot takes, at least for myself. I think I just have opinions that I hold and they are what they are. You know, I don't. I don't intentionally have them to kind of provoke anyone, despite the fact that some people may may believe that or not. <laughs> but I have this card, and I've rated it consistently as the best colored card in Vintage Cube since, uh, I don't know, uh, since it's been in. But, you know, at least since I've been talking about this stuff since June. And I think that seems crazy to people. I think it's true, and we can go into why later. I recently also started streaming, and I was streaming a draft back in June, and I opened a pack, and it had... Ancestral, Ragavan, and Solitude. And I love Ragavan, so it's heartbreaking not to take Ragavan there. <laughs> but I took Solitude, and the people watching were like, you have the wrong card selected, because they want me to take Ancestral. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to take Solitude. <laughs> take Ragavan. They're like, they're trying to stop me. Like, oh no, you're you're going to make a mistake. I'm like, no, I'm intentionally taking Solitude. And yeah, and it's like, it's a, <laughs> like it's a better card than Ancestral. Yeah, <laughs> I don't actually agree, and I would always take Ancestral just because you don't get that pass that often, and you do get past Solitude, so you get plenty of options to play with Solitude, <laughs> but not plenty of options to play with Ancestral. That's like an experiential viewpoint. That's not about winning, though, right? Like... <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I can see that, like it being blue makes Ancestral a little bit more scary if you are just got, trying to win the most, but by itself, it has to be better, right? Like, yeah. My question for, for Matt would be, like, let's say, you know, you get to Color Shift, Time Walk, or Ancestral into either white or red, and you're trying to create <laughs> the best possible card by, by doing that with either of them. Do you end up with a card that's better than Solitude? One white Time Walk, for instance, is that better than Solitude? <laughs> Maybe Time Walk. I don't think Ancestral, because... Vintage Cube is about tempo, it's not about card advantage. And if you cannot find ways to draw additional cards in Vintage Cube, you're just not trying. And Solitude is also a card advantage engine in and of itself. So the way to think about Solitude is that it is force of will, 
and it's flanked on copy. So like that's an absurd combination. That should not exist on one card. To illustrate this, in that draft where I first picked Solitude over Ancestral, in round two, I'm tapped out. My opponent goes Putrid Imp, discard Emrakul, trigger on the stack, Shallow Grave, Emrakul. And I'm like, cool. Exile what card? Solitude, go. Solitude answers every non-storm situation. That doesn't include Inquilify. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it doesn't come up at all. Yeah, exactly. And you don't care. Who cares? You could probably race in quote. Yeah, you just cast. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So it's solitude. It just it just cube despite all preconceptions is a creature format, and this beats every combo outside of uh, storm. And so therefore, you have a two for one creature that is also force of will. So yeah, that's okay. So. I want to go a little bit back to something you said there. Sure. With that, like Vintage Cube is is a tempo format, not a card advantage format. So, so what I would say there, but I think you, you, it's just the way you phrased it. I would say that card advantage is super important. You need to have a lot of it, but at a later point, probably. Exactly. I think that's what you, exactly. It, the the tempo stuff is the stuff that's at a premium and that you need right. to have to get to the card advantage, right? In my experience, games of vintage keep you lose. You lose with cards in your hand. So that generally means that your issue is you didn't have enough mana. Uh, Ancestral will never generate you mana. There is one exception to this statement. If you are specifically playing Storm, Ancestral can draw you into rituals. <laughs> but otherwise, it'll never generate you mana. Solitude can generate you mana. So therefore, I guess we're not it plays into the, the strength of like land mocks or like Lotus or whatever, right? Like, it, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. That's like hyper, like you can't expect it to generate you mana. But even then, you're in a position likely where you're trying to find an answer and you're already down a mana that turn. Would you take, let's say it's pack one, pick one, Ancestral versus Showdown of the Skulls? I would try to find another card to take. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would probably, if it was just truly those two cards, I would take Ancestral. Okay. Uh, I don't dislike Ancestral. I just think it's, I have much bigger and better things to do than draw three cards. Okay, second. You want to draw three cards one time? That's all you want to do? <laughs> okay. Now it's pack two, pick one, and you're either firmly rooted in red or white. Let's say red because you have like treasures for fixing. And sure. You are now considering Showdown of the Skulls <laughs> or Ancestral. Pack two, pick one. Well, Showdown is just a better card in that in that context. Okay, so that's that's pretty much what I was trying to out. It was like, where's the point yeah. where you take something that's way more expensive mana-wise, but is in colors you prefer. You know, with Showdown, like it's not just yeah. I guess maybe with escape, that's a better question because you don't. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the advantage of Ancestral doesn't play to the game requirements of Vintage Cube. It's really good. <laughs> okay. So that covers my spell book and, I, and kind of like a brief introduction to what I like in Magic and what I do in Magic. Yeah. So now what you do in Magic, I think we can explain a little bit more. <laughs> so as you said, you are streaming. But I think that's like the smaller part. You are also a huge part of our community because you're hosting your own Vintage Cube Drafts, our Discord. And not only that, but you also are hosting draft, like a pro to top eight. Like <laughs> sure. there's commentary of the draft. You are spectating the draft from outside. You are normally not playing. You're really just the, the host together with Hejax, who you also really need to get on podcast. And yeah, you, you commentate the draft, you commentate the games, and it's just super awesome to be part of that play in these then looking at it later it's yeah it's true pleasure so do you want to talk a little bit about your philosophy with that window and yeah. the contrast against 
the MTG01 that everybody knows. It's funny that you say philosophy, because I was talking to Opa, again, our, our mutual friend, this week, and he said, you know, like, this card might fit in your cube, because we talk a lot about what to put in my cube. I have, I, I try to, like, split my brain about the cube, where I have some some friends and compatriots that are like, we must have the bread and butter fundamentals of magic in this cube. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. And then, like, on the other half, it's like, but what if we had all this stuff? And I just... <laughs> And so I try to balance my conversations back and forth because I I try to split the difference. But when we get there, that's like the goal of the cube. I'm easily influenced too. So the last person I talked to is like, oh, we could do this. You know? Oh, anyways, I was talking to Opa and he said, well, your cube's not really like a specific design. It's more of a philosophy. And I was like, yeah, that's true. So what does that mean? Uh, so I have a vintage cube. I call it modern vintage. It's weird on purpose and it might change in the future, but it's made to kind of make you ask the question, what does that mean? The goal of the cube today is not words. So basically I made a vintage cube. I used to have one like seven years ago when I sold it. And so like two or three years ago, I don't remember if this is during the pandemic or not. And I, I think it was, I think this was in 2020 when I couldn't get together with my friends to play Magic. And we were still chatting on Discord all the time about Cube because we all love to play it. And I think we had all played uh, a bunch of Vintage Cube recently. And we had off and on for a year or two talked about like, what we did and didn't like about the Cube. And in one of those moments of hubris, you're like, I could make a better Cube than this over my lunch break, right? And so, <laughs> and so I began to kind of open up Cube, Cube Cobra and just kind of jot down my thoughts. It started off with like, man, green's really bad, isn't it? How do we make green better? And so I added cards like uh, Duskwatch Recruiter, Sylvan Safekeeper, and just cards that really should be in the Magic Online Cube but are not and it was okay it was fun I and mean, it's never not fun to play right the idea of building this finish cube was born out of the idea of i can do this but better or here's how i would do it differently and i used to be in music school. one of the people i met there was a composer named walter mays we would talk off and on he's a very brilliant individual and he said something along the lines of you know when a composer listens to a piece of music he listens to it enough to the point where he says oh that's interesting here's how i would do this differently and then goes home and writes that piece I have a lot of qualms with the with that magical land vintage cube, so I figured I would try to rectify those in creating my own list. So I did, right? And so we start playing, and I try to include everything, even the stuff I don't like. Like I don't particularly like Storm. It's fun actually, but it's just from a gameplay experience, it's kind of miserable. Like when you're on the other side of the table, you just sit there for ten minutes doing nothing. Yeah. A lot of games aren't very exciting. If you know how to play against Storm or what matters, then it becomes more interesting. If you're not aware of what the hell's going on, then like you either win or lose, and you don't even understand why. <laughs> right it's like they didn't play anything and i won but so anyways i include storm even though it's not my favorite i included twin i don't like twin that much. basically i don't like combo <laughs> so, but i included it all because people do and i felt like i wanted to facilitate what people enjoy playing and so i put it all in there and but still with the the, the goal of making it quote unquote better than the match i don't know maybe it was it was fun at least so we did this we got together finally back in like april 2021 or it was more like june i think and we started playing and this is some of the guys we've drafted with devin gamer gc cover 85 these are all personal friends of mine from in town we played it frequently like two drafts a week which is a lot for paper magic it kind of boiled down to how we all saw to play the magic online cube for for the, a couple of us we play a lot of the online and for a while the basic model was play mono white and then it kind of evolved into play some mardu variations 
when like the Holy Trinity is Thoughtseize, Swords, and Lightning Bolt. And you're, yep. you're just going to play the most efficient possible cards, the best possible threats, and then like a couple good card advantage engines. And it really doesn't matter what your opponent does because you can, you can trade up on mana so often and you just kill them before they can really get going. Yeah, like a little bit of, of pressure with some disruption just often kills. Yeah, people. I mean, Delver's the best deck in Magic, right? It's yeah. just Delver. <laughs> and yeah, it's not blue, but it's Delver. It's true, exactly. And so we get into the concept of like, what is what is Delver actually doing versus like, what is it doing on a detail level? So on the, on the factual level, Delver is countering your spells and killing your creatures and attacking with a 3-2, but on a philosophical level, it's playing a threat and neutralizing all your threats for less mana than you've spent on them. And so if you just take that philosophy and overlay it onto Vintage Cube, the best way to do that is to play Mardu, because you can neutralize all their threats for lower mana with that black color combination, and you can kill them before they can get going. And there's just, there's not a lot of cards you actually have to counter. So like you can mostly take care of it with uh, removal. So we started drafting a lot, and unsurprisingly, Mardu decks kept winning over and over. And the cards, and these are like, my friends like to play blue. My friends, I'm not, I, like, not everyone's like me, which has like this kind of revulsion to playing blue, even though I'll play blue, it's fine. But like, it's just not what I tend to do. So the other people do like this, but they get burned so often when doing it that they just, they realize if I want to win, I can't really do that. We kept having red, white, and black win. To the point where, like, in the fall of last year, I got so frustrated trying to make blue, like, a reasonable color and green a reasonable color that I just kind of put the cube down for a bit and built an in the straw cube, and we played that a couple times. It was pretty... <laughs> from there, that kind of, like, transitions in what the current cube currently is. There's, like, an evolution from there. I'm going to say a couple things, and people might not agree. This is just my opinion, but I think it's true. Right? That's why I hold the debate my opinion. I think the green is the worst color. There's really no doubt about that. But I think blue is the second word. There's a lot of reasons that's true but the general community at least some of them think blue is the best because it has a few very powerful cards ancestral time walk tinker mana drain right some of those aren't even good cards <laughs> mana drain is not really good and then like tinker is not really that great but uh, okay so like let's take this notion that i don't think blue and green are good and then i want the cube to be color balanced there's two ways to go about this right one can say that like okay well just it doesn't matter just give them all the cards all the quote-unquote best cards and if a color is too good, it will be competed over. The problem is that the beings that are drafting are human beings. And humans have personal preferences and emotional preferences. And even if they know a color is overdrafted, I've watched it so many times. People just do the same thing over and over. Yeah. You win the draft, and the next one, you just head in and just find yourself in the same deck, just a little bit worse. And then... <laughs> And so, like, the notion of draft being self-correcting, I think that requires a big mill of players. Like, okay, I don't think eight players self-correct. Eight players tend to draft the same deck every time. Because I've, I've done it a lot. I always get, like, kind of ridiculed for being the Golgari player. But, like, the person on my right is the Izzy player, and the person on my left is the Boros player. And you're like, guys, you put me here. <laughs> so it just doesn't pan out. It, it assumes that humans are like value maximizing robots instead of humans. Uh, so I figured, okay, well, if that's not the case, I should really try to balance these colors. And I tried, and I tried to make blue good, and it failed. I don't think if you, again, if you come in with the idea of just only the best cards, I literally think blue does not have enough best cards to compete in Vintage Cube. And it gets worse and worse every set. <laughs> they, they keep printing insane red value engines. Yeah. Even the bad ones, like the professional Facebook is insane. <laughs> 
And it's not a great card, right? Like this isn't talking about Lelia or Ragavan. It's talking about uh, Sokinson's like Smelter. That card's crazy too. It's like a five power for three mana. But, and Blue just doesn't get stuff like that. And the game moves more and more every set to playing to the board. And Blue's strengths are about magic being about the hand. And magic's never going back to being about the hand. And I understand people's frustration that, that like they enjoy that aspect of the game, but it's not going back there. And so until they retool what Blue does, it's going to struggle in cube. It will be fine in constructed because in constructed you get to take like the four best cards and make a deck out of it. But in cube, you need a critical mass of like important cards, and they don't exist. Like you're playing underrate creatures for bad abilities, and then hoping that you can sucker someone with a mana drain. <laughs> you, like, you better get all the power, or else you're not in work. On the other hand, if you go outside of the realm of vintage cube blues, it tends to be fine because people are playing much more on the regular mana curve, and then the counter magic's a lot better. So, like in the in the current modern cube, counter magic's really. So now you just try to tool green and blue against what specifically Madu is trying to do, or is that not like something that you're interested? That's kind of what I tried to do, but doesn't that sound impossible? Yeah, I don't. Aren't you trying to make blue and green fight on the axis that Marty's already really strong on? So the notion was okay, particularly in green, like it just can't do it. If you give it all of its most efficient cards, it just doesn't have interaction. So it can't. It can't fight that battle. And you're just going to have to play a powerful card every turn and then hope it wins. And they're just going to like laugh at you and Thoughtseize and Swords and like play a 3-1 for 2 and just kill you. And, uh, you play Nissa and it's like, oh no, Nissa, the Parallax Wave, kill your Nissa. You know? <laughs> so I figured, okay, the, the notion of the best cards in like a raw rating sense, it's not working. So I have to find something beyond that, which is I have to find some way for the a collection of green cards to be stronger than each individual green cards in it which means you need synergy right that's the whole point of synergies if i have two cards it's not one plus one equals two it's one plus one equals three yeah more likely like 2.2 but still uh, you get more than when you put into it yeah yeah the only problem is at that point you just play into the strength of Mardu where kill the one synergy piece that holds it all together. So that's something that you can't allow to happen. It can't be a value combo engine like that where one thing goes. Things this, this is true, but I determined basically that was the only way we could. And I felt the same way about Blue. Blue was a little easier because of cards like Tulerian. And one way in which magic has changed a lot recently was making artifact tokens, whether it be food or treasure or clues. And it's so much easier to make artifacts than it was even three years ago that a lot of cards that were kind of locked away from cube because they count artifacts are now like very powerful because it's so much easier to have a massive artifacts play. So I identified that blue could work on that axis. And then so I, I figured, okay, like blue and green can be successful if they play the game in the way that you play constructed. In constructed, you inherently play some kind of synergy deck. There's very few decks that don't. Delver, of course, is one of them. But even Delver has some kind of synergies, quote unquote. But there's not a lot of decks in constructed that are simply about playing the best cards. That's like Jund, right? And Jund, like iconically, has a 55% win rate. Like, yeah, it wins uh, a decent amount of the time. It's a fine deck. But most constructed decks have some kind of game plan that's more than curving out. And the reason is, is like magic is to a large degree about maximizing your mana. And synergies lets you get more than one mana for each mana you spend because you'll get some kind of effect later on in the game for that one mana you spend. But Crackshot, you're right. Like if you just kill the synergy pieces, then it, it doesn't work out. So that's like the inherent problem of, of this approach, right? And so we started off with this by having green be about enchantments. And Max, that's kind of when we first started talking. This was back in like June. Mm -hmm. And I showed you my cube and there's a lot of enchantments in it. 
And I think that theme has kind of come to fruition recently, but it's been like a kind of brainstorming process. And so in, in green, there's there's a high number of enchantments and there's also a graphene enchantress and inside this, the green white enchantress from Mono Horizons 2 is in the green white section. I put that in. That was the first thing of like, okay, maybe something has to happen beyond playing good cards. I had a bunch of red artifact stuff in because I personally like Goblin Welder. It's one of my favorite cards. And so I just wanted to make it happen. And it was fairly trivial to do. Like again, because of treasure tokens, like Ragavan, Magda, and the Captain Landry Storm was in for a while. So you could have a curve that was just like turn one Goblin Welder, turn two Magda, turn three Faithless Suiting, discard Mirror Battle Sphere, attack with Magda, which, uh, then weld the treasure into the battle. Sphere. And then this works. Rakdos is usually like a pretty good reanimator color pair. So there's some kind of redundancy in them. And you could have this Rakdos Welder reanimator deck. And that, so like Red already had this artifact element to it. And I figured, well, what if we do more in blue? Blue is already a lot of artifact stuff. So I slowly began to move the cube into more a more synergistic path. Yeah, was that before or after Neon Dynasty came out? This was after, this is all after. Neon Dynasty is very critical to this game. Yeah, I, I agree. This, it gave you so much like in between artifacts and enchantments and so much tools for those. Well, was a really more exactly. amazing set. Just an amazing set in general. I think. It is. I was going through a pile of Neon Dynasty cards the other day, and it, it probably will end up being remembered as one of the best magic sets ever. I continue down this path of investigating synergies in Vintage Cube. Now, that brings up Caleb Gannon, right? Caleb Gannon had his synergy Vintage Powered Cube. We talked about that on our last episode, actually. Oh, you did? Yeah. Cool. Are you talking about with Caleb Derwood or with Caleb Gannon? <laughs> one of them. <laughs> uh, okay. We talked about it with Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah, that's good enough, right? I, I'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, no, the and I played that, and I remember seeing the list when it was spoiled. And I don't want to say I was a hater, but I was a non-believer. And I said, this cube has like palace jailer in it. Like, how could any of this small ball stuff be any good? And it was. It was, in fact, very good. And the control decks were kind of hard to build. And in that cube, I played a bunch of Oni Cult Anvil decks, like a bunch of weird combo decks. And I think I was third on the leaderboard at the end. Definitely not in the same place that Caleb was. But I had a lot of success playing it. The takeaway was that like it could work. Now, the way Caleb Gannon makes it work in that cube is to take basically every four dropper higher out of the cube. <laughs> into, and like to take all of the Titans out. That's why that cube works. It's because yep. you can play this early setup and then your opponent can't just play a five-minute card that eradicates everything you've done. Are you uh, alluding to perhaps another cube? <laughs> the is true. Nah, maybe so, maybe so. So after like four drafts of it, I was like, okay, I, I think I get what's going on here. And then I really loved it. And I actually played Control Decks quite a bit. And Control Decks in that cube really meant like you had Night's Whisper and you had Ancestral Recall. And in that cube, Ancestral Recall was the nuts. Like it was so good because the card advantage was so much harder to come by. And the cube is so cheap in general. It really showed what was good about Ancestral, which is like in a format full of cheap cards and a format where card advantage is rare, Ancestral is the best card. Other than Time Walk. Time Walk was also insane. Like, so I didn't want to replicate his cube entirely, but I, I was kind of like inspired, so to say. Okay, well, these things can can work. And so I'm going to continue to work on this path of synergy and in cube. But I didn't want to get rid of the classic element. So you're now basically a little bit on a halfway point in between where you were like, will you value the synergy? But you also closer to delivering to the expectations of somebody going in, just hearing the vintage cube part of a synergy vintage, right? Exactly. It, I think that was one of the few problems with Caleb's cube that just some people were 
looking at it, maybe playing one, and were a little bit disappointed and just never gave it a second chance and never were able to like figure it out and see the beauty. Right. So in my own cube, I do seek to offer somewhat of a classic vintage cube experience. There are four drop and five drop planeswalkers. There are multiple titans. There are powerful combo things you can do. Something, like you said, that like for the more classic vintage cube drafters to sit down at the table and play. Now, I think I do kind of bait them because if you do that, I, I think you are in rough shape a lot of the time. But it's there. Like you can pick up the cards and draft the deck and play your favorite cards. Yeah. There's a reason that it's weaker. So I ended up making blue and green about like respectively artifacts and enchantments. And so I began to add cards like Psy, Emery, which are already the Magic on the Vintage Cube, but try to give them more support. Also some newer, less known cards like Cyberdrive, Awakener, and Kappa Cannoneer, kind of the commander cards from Kamigawa that really reinforce the blue artifact power. Oh yeah, they're really powerful. Yeah, they're very good. That was on my mind. And it wasn't super successful at first to have these kind of synergy decks be good. People would draft them and they weren't like embarrassing, but they were okay. And then uh, my friend Gamer, he one day said in, in our Discord, he said, hey, like if you were to break down your cube into three sections, like, and their general mechanical synergies, what would they be? And my first res thought response was like, eh, the cube's not really designed like that. But he laid out a pretty convincing argument that it is. And he said, at that point in time, like Grixis was artifacts, Abzan was enchantments. Like John Colors were madness because we begin to have madness. I think that's like the majority. And so I was like, okay, well, you have a pretty compelling point that like these different color groups are about mechanical synergy. And you could draft a deck that has this kind of latent synergy at that point in time. We've kind of amplified it then. And so I began to think more about like, okay, if you were to categorize this cube in, in color areas, how could, how would it break out? And I, I don't like to think so clinically. I'm much more of like an intuitive thinker about composition and design. I'm just too lazy to sit down and write the numbers down of like, this is how many removal spells are in the cube, or yeah. like, this is how many parts, the key cards there are for this synergy. I try to just, when I make my list, I just go and keep cover and hit play test. I just do a hundred drafts in a row. And they're worthless as actual drafts, but like you just get to see pack after pack after pack. Yeah, and that's from there, I just feel like a gut reaction, you know? It's a good thing to get a few for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so Vintage Cube came up in June. I raced with Geeky, which was fun. I lost by one trophy, but I tied him at like three in the morning on the last day. I had taken a break working with my Vintage Cube at that point. And then after that, went back into it. That's when I kind of addressed some of the things that you bring up, Crackshot, about like disrupting these combos. My solution for doing that was something that people had kind of protested, but I, I think it's worked out pretty well, which is I kind of made white and red fight with one hand behind their back. So <laughs> one of the, the key things of this cube since its inception was I want there to be more interaction. And so I think if you do go out and parse it out, there's like 30% more interactive spells in here than there is in the, the Magic Online video. There's, there's a good amount more one mana spells. That way you can, you can play the game with your opponent, right? Yep. So I didn't want to take those out. So removing Source Splashers was off the table, like removing Thought Seeds off the table. Like I just couldn't remove those cards because that's what the game's about. And they let you play the game, so I, I didn't want to remove it. So how could I possibly make white and red not so supremely dumb? And the answer was you have to make white and red play the same game that everyone else is playing. The, the reason that white is so good in Vintage Cube is because it's just Jund. It's it's classic Jund. Like all of its cards are two for ones or inc incredibly efficient removal. Mm -hmm. On top of that, it has perfect mana. Yep. Right? It even gets to like free roll Mitra's Factory and stuff. And so I figured, okay, the way to address this is to make it so in order for white and red to get card advantage, 
they have to play the game the same way that the other colors are playing it. And so they have to be trying to pair together small combinations of things to get that additional value. You can, in this cube, still play curve out efficient, couple of pieces of like generic card advantage, and there will be some degree of success. But if you want to have the insane broken decks, then you have to start to play in the, the synergy elements. And that's how you garner card advantage. You pair that card advantage with your interaction and therefore you have a powerful deck. So what that means is like stuff like Lelia's out. Exactly. So Lelia was one of the first cuts. We have like a weird band list in this cube. Well, I wouldn't call it a band list because you do tend to take out cards and then maybe put them back in. Like it's not. Yeah, yeah. There are cards that will never come back. <laughs> Jitte won't come back, right? After like the jerseys hanging up in the rafter of the cards retired from this cube. Jitte uh, was yeah. the, oh, Caracas was the first cut. Oh, really? That was the first veto from from gamer. He's like, we you have to cut Caracas. <laughs> I, I do kind of like that, but it does not fit really into the categories you talked about earlier that you didn't want. Like it is on the interaction part of. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, by the way, <laughs> but it's... question: Are you taking Jitte over Solitude in the Magic Online Mitch Cube? I tend to, even though, yeah, I, I tend to. Okay. Just for some context. <laughs> found, yeah. Found the one. So Caracas was cut because Commander's a thing, right? And then the existence of Commander means an increasing number of creatures printed into Magic will be Legends, which yep. means that Caracas becomes more and more powerful every year. And it's a land. It's a land with no drawback <laughs> that says you can't cast your spells. Uh, the commander cards often are cards that are like synergy cornerstones and then being right. specifically good against those like just goes against what you're trying to do. yeah that's a good point so i think the second cut was jitte and then in order to kind of slow white down slightly we cut mother of runes i don't think mother is really that bad of a card as far as like degeneracy there's a lot of decks that don't care if you play mother of runes but at the same time it was a way to make white slightly weaker without really taking too much away from it because you don't want to like take away the cool cards right and mother runes is cool for sure but like white is fine without mother runes so just take it right? giver is still in i've thought about cutting it because i don't even know givers but it's not bad please leave it i like it for my lotus decks yeah sure that's fine well you also bring up a good point though like a lot of these synergy engines are creatures so giver is a good way to protect them yep so from there, there's Mother Runes, and then Dismember, and Mind Collapse. Mind Collapse is a fun one. Uh, Mind Collapse is a common from Modern Horizons 2, red and three instant. If it's your turn, you could sacrifice a mountain instead of paying its casting cost and deals five damage target creature or planeswalker. This was like in order to stop red from just killing everything for free, specifically because Lyra and Baneslayer, which were in the cube at the time, had five toughness. And they, they kind of should be the ace of the hole versus the red decks. And they're just like, oh, I have a free spell. It kills that. <laughs> I feel like mine collapses like sufficiently different from the rest of the cards you banned, if only because like you had to read the text, you know, like. Oh, like, yeah. It's funny to me. You know, we know what Dismember does, and it does something quite similar. But like Dismember is like a color pie break, but it seems like the color pie aspect is less important to you than like specifically like this red versus white matchup is that right yeah well it's more that like red needs to have some kind of restriction and red shouldn't be able to kill five really four toughness creatures without some work certainly not for free there was too many games that were like two drop lelia and then they go blocker and you're like cool another haste threat mind collapse kill you now you could say Fury's still in the cube, and that's fair. But again, trying to keep the top level power cards, if possible, and cut like 
the kind of free roll cards. Yeah. Somewhere in, somewhere in between and fill doors with. Yeah. I mean, that does make sense. Like, it's like delicate dance between delivering the expectations, playing with the most powerful cards, still making right. room. Like, room as in card fit in the cube, but also room as in, like, breathing room right. in the games for the synergist. Yeah. And so since then, we cut... <laughs> this is actually after playing UMAX. Like, I cut Robert the Rich and Lelia. And this is my punt, because, like, you robbed my Hellbreacher and I didn't even see it because of Magical Mind <laughs> and cast Ancestral. Uh, Oh, man. It wasn't because of that, but it was just like, okay, clearly Lilia's too good. <laughs> yeah, Lilia, I 100% agree with cutting. And I think, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, Crackshot even mentions a card you cut early. Right. Like, Robber could be, is fine. It could be in, but it is quite good. And then finally, most recently, our greatest card of all time, our best friend, Parallax Wave. I just, again, it was because I lost to it, which I, I understand how that sounds. But... You know, we've all played a lot of games of Magic with Parallax Wave, and I think we all understand what happens when you cast that card, <laughs> which is it basically negates the game that's happened up until that point, and you probably win 90% of the time you cast it. It's so weird. Like, it's it's on the one hand, like, Plague Wind, but also it's like, I can play this with, like, one or two creatures in play, and now you can't kill them anymore. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. And you also can't spend mana. Like, you can't block me. Oh, yeah, okay. I have Parallax Wave and play. Maybe I could play a blocker to block. No, you can't. Nope. Yeah, and multi-block either, of course. Like the whole, yeah, it's just a disaster. <laughs> the one thing that I can never wrap my head around is it took me forever until I started playing and liking Parallax. Right. Like it was in the old vintage for such a long time and it, I just keep, kept passing it and people weren't playing it against me and I don't know, it just wasn't very present and now it's like <laughs> it's, a card that needs to, needs to get It's purely a text it's, thing. It, like people don't know what fading is. And so they just see this card and they're like, I don't want to think about this card. And they pass it. Like even on a local level, there would be like random cube drafts, people's cubes. And you would just go and you'd like take Parallax Wave and win. It doesn't really matter what the setting is. It's just like take this card and your, your odds of winning are very high. I think you're right actually about the text thing, even though it's something I hadn't considered at all before. Because I'm thinking about like Tanglewire 2. <laughs> and Tanglewire is like, obviously it's nowhere close to Parallax Wave. But like it is a powerful effect if you're able to like mm -hmm. leverage it really well. Um, you know, you can basically just win games that you have no right to to win otherwise with your linear aggressive decks. Actually, I really like that you cut that from your queue. One, it probably is not very good for balance purposes, but two, like, feels like it's getting some, like, respect that it... <laughs> badly like lacks in the magic oh, yeah. online vintage cube you know when you get it like 13th or whatever if you were silly enough to pass it the first time what's funny to me about these cards is none of them are. <laughs> and uh, none of the blue cards have been problematic i'm not sure where you stand on it like when blue cards that need to get cut i'm always thinking of uh true name nemesis because that just i really hate the play pattern with this um do you have it in currently it's in and it's really really under <laughs> Okay, but I'm surprised by that. Super, I, I just hate that card. Same as stupid text drinker. Oh yeah, I, I get it. I hate that card. Just, <laughs> like winning with it, losing against it, it's just not fun. I am really surprised that that true name's not like a standout in your cube, though. It seems like it could potentially be like the best blue card, or at least against the kind of decks I like to draft. Um, I think you would find it very easy to beat, actually. So, like, eventually, what I did was I moved some color concepts around. I took black out of the artifacts group, and I made I put white into it. White was already playing with enchantments because of the green-white enchantress theme. And then now, well, white has some powerful cards like Stoneforge Mystic, right? And whether or not, I, I don't rate Stoneforge that highly in cube, honestly, but, like, it is a powerful card, and it does tutor for artifacts. And so then, in addition to that, it has 
some cards that care about equipment. And it has some recently some living equipment style, actual white cards like Barb Spike and Citizen's Crowbar. So I figured right, Red's already playing in artifacts. Red already has the reconfigured equipment. So let's make white about equipment as well. And so there, there is a very minor equipment theme, the Pure Steel Paladin. And to some degree, Oscar is kind of, I don't know, sorry. I had a lot of fun with the uh, Paladin the last time I yeah, played it. <laughs> that was pretty sick. I enjoyed watching that. So I said, okay, White's going to have to play the Synergy game to a degree. I'm not going to cut any of its powerful interactive cards other than Parallax Wave. Right? Therefore, it can still have the tools it needs to be an excellent, power, powerful deck. It just has to find a way to put things together in a more sophisticated way, I guess. I think we've been increasingly, I've been increasingly moving in that direction. So more or less the wedges have some kind of some kind of mechanical coherency, which is like artifacts and Jeskai, enchantments and Abzan, Mardu, there's some kind of sacrifice stuff. And then... Clear, like, are you supporting drafting of these wedges or shards, or are the two color pairs, like, fit the same umbrella with the It's definitely more of the second. As, despite the fact that there's, like, all these synergies that I'm talking about, I like to tell people that are drafting this cube, this isn't a synergy. And what I mean is that one of the defining aspects of Caleb Cannon's keep is that he has a lot of really poor rate cards. But because of because he wants us to be played and it's cool, he's intentionally kept out the best top end rate cards. And so therefore you're not pressured, like you don't get lose the game for playing a two mana zero one, for instance. I didn't want to include those cards in my cube, the, the poor rate beat cards. So while there's a lot of synergy in the cube, like all of the cards are on face rate, on value, playable, I think. And there's no Blood Artist. For instance, Blood Artist is not a big I think Blood Artist is like very bad unless you specifically get all the stuff into play to go off. And as Crackshot says, it's hard to do that, yeah, right? Because someone's going to kill everything. And so this kind of comes into the basic philosophy of the cube. It's kind of a roundabout way. Magic Online is full of very binary cards in, their, in the Magic Online. Cards that either win the game immediately or do nothing the entire I don't find that play pattern fun. Didn't cut them initially, but I slowly begin to cut them. And so the cards I'm talking about here, like Sneak or Show and Tell or Eureka, all these cards that like if you set them up and do them, you win the game. But sometimes you don't. Like sometimes you don't even win them. These decks tend to underperform on Magic Online because they're just crushed by the aggro decks anyway. Yeah. So not only are they like tilting when you lose to them, they're not even good. So like to me, it's unhealthy for a game format to have decks that are tilting that are also bad. <laughs> yeah. So that made me think of is upheaval in your cube still? No, it's not. Yeah, I believe so. It would be very, very bad. But it's one card that's super tilting to lose against. Um, but yeah. most of the time, you just don't lose against it. <laughs> right. I also feel like that's, I don't know, like what you were saying about like bad decks. I wasn't thinking about like cards in particular so much as like archetypes. And I'm just thinking about however many times I've drafted mono white and gone two one or better as the second or third white drafter right. in the pod. I've done that on stream like once or twice. And everyone's like, what are you doing? Like... <laughs> Stop passing right. all the all the blue power and, you know, your deck looks horrible or <laughs> trophy somehow or, or something. It just seems so tilting for, for anyone like to play against it. Playing all these like four drops that I don't like. Yeah, I don't know. That, that seems like something would be wise not to support. So I, I wanted to intentionally not support combo decks that are frustrating to play against and also bad. So initially I did this and then like Mardu crushed everything. And so I was like, well, there has to be some kind of combo element. Otherwise it's just who can build the leanest, meanest aggro deck or who can build the mid-range deck that's slightly over the top I can still play on turn one. And so we begin to add more combo in. It gets to like the basic concept of which is uh, one, 
you can cast every card in this cube. What I mean is like, you're not going to be playing a deck that has thinks the steel wind and no way to cast it. That's just, that's not an element of this cube. If you put a card in your deck, you can cast that card. This means that over the course of the game, you will have access to all of your resources that you put in your deck. And you won't need to draw the A card for your B card. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that is true is because of Neon Dynasty. So I have synergies in this cube, but almost all of them are on creatures. So if you play the game in a natural limited manner, playing creatures on two, three, four, and five, or whatever it may be, even if you don't get the thing together, you're still playing the game of right? And you can still trade your creatures for their, you can still play removal spells. And then when you get the thing, all of a sudden your, your deck goes into overdrive. Yeah. Another thing that like makes the, the game more interesting is because everything is more or less a creature, everyone has access to disruption because creature removal is very common, even if it's bounce, right? So like there yeah. can be these combo decks, but it can be disrupted with creature removal. What about green? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> You are allowed to play second color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's no good answer. There's uh, there's Primal Might, but it doesn't really count. I do love Primal Might, though. <laughs> it is good. Green does have disenchants, and when so many creatures yeah. are enchantments or artifacts, disenchant becomes creature. True. That works. And yeah, I have to say that behind this all, like from a player perspective, I had a lot of fun playing uh, your cube because games aren't just suddenly over. It's like very often that uh, games go relatively long. Like it's not like super swingy in the way that somebody plays a haymaker and then somebody else plays a haymaker, but somebody plays a problematic creature permanent that you have like a few turns to to answer, but if you don't, you will lose. And mm -hmm. it goes back and forth that way. So like it's like smooths out the swings over a few turns and games go on and then they come often to a very tight conclusion. It really works out a lot like this. I would say that my, my favorite game was when I was playing against Krizu. Um, yeah, I think we saw that. Yeah, that was also on stream. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was so good. It was <laughs> really close, me clawing back and then winning. Uh, I felt like I had no business winning it, but I, I drew well and with that for a chance. It was really, it was really fun. I don't remember it super well, yeah. but I, I feel like that one was pretty well played too by both sides or maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it was really awesome. Was. Well, you bring up play actually and I think about how many opportunities do you have for play in this modern? Not a ton. Whereas yeah. when you have this combination of cards that are in my cube, most of your cards have activated abilities or abilities. Most of your cards can be recursive in nature. They're cheap. They let you have flexibility in gameplay. And therefore, you can outplay your opponent or you can play incorrectly. Like anytime you have a lot of cheap cards, you can easily play incorrectly, right? Because you can just sequence your plays. You're not just like counting your mana, casting your big spell. And so there's all these different synergies in the cube. And I think I have a list on the overview and we could link to it at some point in the notes. Yeah, for uh, sure. But I have a basic breakdown of the different areas, right? There's just got artifacts, which is tinker, blue, red, or equipment in white, red, and then white, blue has like a recursive artifact elements with uh, like refurbish and Tameshi. There's absent enchantments, which is like a, a typical green, white enchantment deck, but there's a lot of black enchantments. Black just kind of adds to it and gives you good interaction. There's uh, Sultai Self-Mill and Graveyard. This is Hogak. This is Reanimator. This is Survival of the Fittest. This is Tamio, the blue-green Tamio, but also importantly, uh, Thassa's Oracle and Jace Wheeler Mysteries as combo kills. So there's Mardu Sacrifice, which is not really as pushed as it is in a lot of cubes. I didn't want to put in a bunch of token generators, like Dragon Fodder kind of cards, because they're just too weak. I wanted to make sure that people were still playing with powerful cards. Are you talking about my, my raise the alarm again, Matt? <laughs> 
This Raise the Alarm is pretty close to being good, but if it was like one or two other elements, if Raise the Alarm was like specifically if Omen of Heliod was one in white, put two one one tokens in play, you just gained one life, that would be in the cube. <laughs> Something like as focused as Raise the Alarm or Dragon Fodder, not good enough, right? So Martyr Sacrifice, this, this, there are cards that are good at sacrificing things like Yagmoth, and there's Mayhem Devil. Yep. There is a madness theme in red and green. It's not really a deck, it's just that red tends to loot a lot of stuff, and there's Anji's Ravager, there's Dromkirk Cultist. And there's the new all-star Faldor and the Dreadwolf Herald. And man, what an unfair card, huh? <laughs> for those who are unfamiliar, Faldorn, he passes the basic test of his 3-3 three, three for 3. It's a red-green 1 for 3. And it has two lines of text that are very powerful. One says, if you ever play a spell or land from exile, make a 2-2 two, two wolf. And this isn't once per turn. I don't know why, but it's, it's a commander card, which is probably why. And then one in tap, discard a card, exile top card, you can cast in turn. This card seems very innocuous at first, right? I feel like this is also a great example, going back to Caracas. Like you mentioned, it's a commander card. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. Oh man, like what if you just tapped your land to <laughs> stop your opponent from playing the game? Yeah. Yeah. That card has an ability you can discard a card to play a top card from exile. Well, it turns out all madness spells are cast from exile. So, like anytime you madness the spell, but it also like red has a lot of graveyard stuff and then escape and eternalize in order to leverage the draw sevens. There's uh, fast bond decks, and in order to make fast bond better, I added in bounce lands, and then uh, because because of that, there's Hedron Crab. There is a turn one kill. No one's done it. Of <laughs> Fast Bond, Forest, Fast Bond, Island, Hedron, Crab, Bounce Land, mill your opponent out. That's something yeah. that I was actually worried about in my one mana keep so Fast Bond. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can try it. In Matt's cube, I'm not really believing in the Fast Bond yet. And most other people are also not like, believe the last draft I played, it went like 14th or 15th pick. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe somebody has to show them first, but uh, we are. You bring up a good, a good point, which is belief. I, every time I show this cube to people, and it's they're like, oh, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do, but if you just draft the rate cards, you'll just crush. And I'm like, well, I think I kind of have experimental data. That's not exactly true. And I think it kind of comes down to like, are you a believer or are you a non-believer? <laughs> and these decks won't happen unless you're a believer. And to that degree, like when you're drafting, you have to believe as well. Yeah. Yeah. And like you have to take a card like Tameshi, for instance, Crackshot, you have that card. Oh, and like, I love well, it's it a two, three for three, right? Like, and it has a weird ability, it returns lands to my hand. I have to have this card in my graveyard. Is this going to be good? Well, not if you don't believe, but if you believe that card is insane. Yep. And <laughs> when what I mean is like, if you take that card early, your entire draft can be informed by having Tameshi. And maybe you'll get Emery as well later on, you know? Yeah. And you just take all these baubles, you take the spell bombs, your artifact creatures, your they reconfigure creatures, like replaying your sagas from the graveyard. It's great. Yeah, and the deck I had it and I didn't even get the baubles. Somebody else took them for some other artifacts. I, I basically mostly recurred, I'd say it, and Mana's creatures or the Citizen's Crowbar, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that was so much fun. And <laughs> yeah, I am going to do that again. I'm a believer now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then someone will take Fast Bond and do Yes. And there are some very basic things. Maloku is in this cube, and it gets kind of laughed at, but Maloku is a really good card. Maloku's gotten much better than it was like three years ago. It's a strong card. Because it's the game is much more about creatures. It's yeah. kind of funny for me to hear it mentioned, I feel like. I think it's like overperforms when anyone plays, but it's gotten like such a bad reputation in the last couple of years because it's, it wasn't as good for a long time. But when the game's more about cheap creatures and having infinite 1 1 birds. So there is like a fast bond, draw seven deck, the whole breacher and Narset and Leofold are in. I've thought about cutting Leofold because like. Sultai doesn't really participate in this, and it feels off to have this Sultai card there. Yeah, you have to like stream yeah, it or like, something that's not 
really supported within the wedge. Exactly. Recently, I kind of added in Heliod just because I needed to take out a card. And Heliod's an enchantment. And so then I figured like, well, actually the card for Rexian Missionary got printed and Dominary United. And people were like, are you going to put this card in? And I'm like, it's pretty good, isn't it? It's like a 2-3 lifelink for two. That's also a great idea. And so then I, well, if I put this card in, why don't we go a little harder on life gain? And so... Heliod's in Archangel of Thune and Witch of the Moors are your kind of payoffs. But life gain, gaining life is also like much better than it used to be. It's also like free or sometimes you, it <laughs> yeah. feels like you have to uh, pay less, uh, but you will have to gain to life or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. How do you categorize stuff like machine? Do you sort that as like an Orzhov card or a mono white card? That card's in the white section. They, Dominary United presented some interesting difficulties with that, which is like if you could reasonably play the card without kicking it, then it's just in the monocolor section. And 2 3 lifelink for 2. Obviously, it doesn't sound like a vintage cube card, but it's not far off. I feel like, I don't know, kind of understanding like your environment and like the importance playing to the board, it does seem like we were right. talking about the red versus white matchup. 2 mana, 2 three lifelink it's gonna be a good card there you gotta yeah exactly gotta bolt that for sure so then the last one the most recent edition is domain and this has made green i think better so mm -hmm. this is like wild mccoddle michelle brawler yeah uh, guys might and Kaisma does a five damage for one da for one mana. That's pretty good. <laughs> the Kavu probably also from uh, Oh yeah, Manhras. That's a lot of information. I understand the basic premise of drafting this cube, is, and I put it in a little overview here. Is like you should draft in three dimensions. I mean, it's, and I say it's cube draft overall, right? Come on. <laughs> Your deck should have a very reasonable curve, right? And it should have creatures, removal, and card advantage. All right, that's the first dimension. You must satisfy that, unless you're the weirdest combo deck. But that has to be true. And I give you enough creatures to do that, so that's fine. And then your other two axes should be two different synergy areas that overlap in some way. And one of the easiest things I can think of is enchantments and Heliod, right? So like you have a lot of life gain within your enchantment cards, and then all those enchantment cards also trigger your en enchantress effects. Hmm. And so... I feel like you drafted that in Mike as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what this means is like the common criticism of synergy decks is I can pick out your, your one card that matters, and then your deck falls apart. What if none of my cards matter? <laughs> wow. You end up in this blob state, right? I'm just going to play the cards, and then whatever cards I have in play will work together somehow. To me, it flips the script, because then your 100% rate decks, they are more susceptible to variance than, than the synergy decks, really? because they're solely relying on drawing the right combination of threats and interaction. I think this is something Jakob did really well. I don't know if I'm going to remember the name of the cube off the top of my head, but uh, I guess the three-step cube is what you called it? Yeah. 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 Where it's just like the whole thing is just like a mess of synergy. Like you're just <laughs> you're mm -hmm. just gonna dump some cards into play and they're gonna work together. I also think that this kind of thing is a great design to if you're worried about like on rails drafting or that kind of thing. You know, the cards are gonna work together and it doesn't necessarily have to be like, well, I took Luris, so now everything is a two mana permanent or cheaper. Like <laughs> And that's one of the reasons I can't include a card like Blood Artist, because it only works in the sacrifice deck, and even there it doesn't really work that often right so like yeah. that's why the baseline of this creature must be a good rate creature is in place matt is running all these vintage cube drafts normally it's twice a week once wednesday uh night or evening depending on where you are <laughs> if you're in the u.s that is and um the other time be like sunday uh around noon or afternoon 
again, still if you're in the US. And yeah, they're like super high effort drafts. Like the fact that there's coverage for these is awesome. You know, like it's one thing to like stream someone's perspective, but uh, to be able to like talk with the winners and that kind of thing after is like really amazing. And it's also like a completely open thing. There are so many vintage cube addicts in the world. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people are interested in, in your drafts and like, you know, they're consistently able to fire with no trouble. But if you think about like the number of people who love Vintage Cube relative to the <laughs> the number of people participating in these drafts, like there, there's definitely room for, for some more people out there oh, listening sure. to this right now. Maybe if, you know, if you are a Vintage Cube fan to, to, to join the server, if you'd like. Yeah, Matt, I'm sure is more than happy to get you acquainted with the, the drafting process. He's helped too. But what, what did you want to say? Because <laughs> I definitely... Well, I was just that we wanted to talk about it. So like, yeah, so I've begun... Well, the long and the short of it is I want to be able to draft my own cube on Magic Online in the live. So how do you get there? Uh, because that people don't know who I am, right? So there have been spotlight cubes before. How does my cube get selected as a spotlight cube? The real answer, I believe, is like you private message the right person that you have a personal connection. Oh, yeah. I don't have that personal connection, right? <laughs> so how do you get it? Well, then you need to build that that social network. And one of the ways to do so is to do something unique and something different. And there's there's a strong truth to like, if you want something to happen, the only reason that it's not happening is because you're not. And I, it doesn't take a ton of effort to put this stuff together. I have this key that I'm already working on. I have all the cards on Magic Online. All I have to do is get some people together and play and have a twist chain. So I decided to do this with geek strategists to some extent and some other people I've been working with. And I've not put like an intense amount of effort into it, but we have drafts of twice a week. Like a lot of and there's no real like long-term league structure. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Part of it is I want to see my own creation being played and it's, it's fun and I want to see if I come up with it. And I, I do get to draft it myself from time, but not as often. So we've been doing that since like July and it's been pretty good off and on. I have tried to use that element to inform the cube design as well. And one of the things we were talking about with Modern Cube is that like there's a lot of decisions that do go on in Modern Cube, but they largely happen outside the actual game of Magic. They ha happen when you're drafting and when you're deck building. And then when you're playing the game, there's not a ton of interaction, right? But that's not to say that the other things didn't matter. Like they do matter in how you win mm -hmm. games. But the problem is if other people are watching you play and you don't do anything, is that exciting viewing? Not really, right? Like, oh, the control deck beat the aggro deck. There's nothing really compelling or exciting there. So what if you make the decision element of the game happen during the game as well as the other portions of the game? And so I tried to make the cards have much higher interactive axes. And some of this is synergy and some of this is raw interaction so that the gameplay is highly dynamic and therefore it's a much better interesting viewing experience like something crazy will happen one turn and then someone will draw cards and the crazy will happen the next turn but as Jacob points out that crazy thing that's happening is not literally ending the game it's just flipping yeah. the table and this leads to a lot of back and forth in these games and i think it's to me a much better viewing experience what's interesting is that because we're doing this this in some kind of like jury rigged way we can't see the hands of the players and to some degree that like a lot of people would prefer if we can see theirs. And I get that, but I don't want to go through the work to fix that. It would require people streaming on Discord and stuff. And I want as little buy-in from the players as possible 
that way they get to play without giving, putting too much work in. And so I, I'm not interested in going down an avenue to fix this issue. But I think it's also interesting from a viewer perspective. If we don't know either player's hand, we are forced to kind of live in the moment of the game and then purely speculate on what could happen next. This is true for commentary, right? Like you can only say, well, maybe they have this or maybe they're trying to set up this. Or if they if they play this spell here and evoke grief, that leads to me me to think that they're going to cast Recurring Nightmare next turn. Oh, they cast this Jadar on two and they grief me and for no apparent reason. But they're probably going to cast Recurring Nightmare next turn, sacrifice a zombie, get back to grief and so on. And so like you can kind of envision these lines and so there's the kind of tantalization of the future possibilities and yet you don't know and at the same time you don't know what the other player has either and so like one of the things about coverage when you can see hands is like you can typically play out the top the next three turns right and the only thing that's going to change is drawing a card you don't know any of the cards man lots of stuff can happen and then you have to kind of like immediately react as it happens and so another thing i kind of watch sometimes is fighting games and like I've tried to think about like how do you make magic as a spectator thing more like fighting games because fighting games are awesome to watch. They're action packed. They're so fast. Like things happen and then there's an immediate reaction. Mistakes are made. Whatever. But like it's so exciting. Yeah. And magic is more methodical as a game, so it's hard to compare those two things. But I think to a degree, making more private information actually makes it more like the fighting, right? And that you are forced to only react to what is what is being done at the moment and what could happen in the future. But you don't get to know what's going to happen in the future. Making the gameplay more about onboard decision-making makes it so like these these dynamic plays are similar to something happening in, in a, like a faster-paced game. So in, in fighting games, there's without going too much into that, there's something that's called the scramble. And usually uh, there's like two, three different states in, in a fighting game. There's like, there's someone is the active aggressor and there's someone the active defender. Uh, there is neutral in which neither player has advantage, but they're trying to get to a point where they have advantage. And then there's like the scramble. And then the scramble is when something happens that someone didn't expect or some move hit just wrong or right. And now neither player knows who's at yep. advantage. And it's like who reacts fast enough and who puts them is able to put themselves into the position where they can take advantage in an improvisatory manner. And I that's what I want to recreate in both a viewer perspective, but also a cube design and a game design perspective. It's like how do you make magic, which is such like a long-term game, much more about improvisation in the moment? And that's kind of why these synergies are interested in me, because they let you do wild things that you would never expect. All right. So if we contrast that a little bit with the modern cube that's currently on MTGO, I noticed that there are a lot of things that are a little bit different because this cube on MTGO, it feels a lot like a haymaker good stuff where the really impactful cards just make everything that was cast before that kind of irrelevant. So it's very hard to mm. just go under something, but it also means that you're not really interacting all or let's put it in a way it forms it into right. a kind of rock paper scissors way of interaction the decks do interact but the interaction right. after the time is just one way the way i experienced it the first two decks i drafted were um, attempts at lurus deck the first one not getting a lurus but just scraping by with some um, sacrifice synergies like cheap black creature and sacrifice synergies and that one did manage to win because I played against ramp round one that just, I think the deck was not constructed very well, but they also drew horribly. So I won that one, which should be my bad matchup. And then I played a mirror 
that I managed to win. And in the finals, I played against the control deck, which was not set up very well for my cheap and recursive threats. But the second round, where I actually had Lurus, I lost in the finals against the ramp deck because like recurring like small ball right. stuff, it just doesn't matter. I had a, a Tamogolf that was 5-6 that I could just recast with my Lurus, but it, I just still couldn't attack with it. Like they had stuff that was just so big, they could just block it without losing anything. So I wasn't gaining anything. So my graveyard was empty, my board was full, and still nothing I did mattered. And they crushed me with like three uh, Planeswalkers right. that just kept ticking, ticking, ticking. And I had a lot of removal for Planeswalkers in my deck, but yeah, you, and you're not keeping up. Then. So... There's just some decks that do something that's bigger than anything you care about. But right now, I I have a, a control deck at 2-0 with just counter magic. And exactly. ramp decks, they're just, they're just <laughs> so dumped against. They just don't do anything. So it's like really a rock, paper, scissors format right. where the interaction really just always goes one way. Like all of those decks somehow interact with other decks, but not in the bad matchup. The bad matchup just invalidates everything else. That's what I notice is mono white is not set up very well. I feel like it's probably one of the worst decks. Like I've never seen it do well. Like if you want to be aggressive, I think black feels a little bit better because you are a little bit more resilient. And yeah, I feel like black has better tools to crush the control matchup white and ramp is pretty good. I'm, but I'm just starting to wonder now if, and maybe you can chime in there, if not, you shouldn't really ramp, but just start playing like big-ish, like mid-range threads into big stuff without spending the space in your deck on like mana. Well, the mana elves are awful. Something like that. Because they're really bad at the control match. Because you're already yeah. weak to Wrath, right? And therefore, like, you don't want to speed these extra resources. But Rampant yeah. Growth is not a fair magic card. If you can have land ramp, then the ramp deck's really good. I kind of have a feeling that Bant Control is the best deck. And you play counter magic, Wraths, and Rampant Growth. Yeah, yeah. And one card that I have in my deck that feels really unfair that I got really late, but like in games feels really good. Oh is, yeah, uh, it's a not pact fair. of negation. <laughs> I don't know. There's I don't know that the card in many cubes wouldn't be great, but in this cube I got it late. I played it, and when I have yeah, it in my hand, I just feel it's, like it's one of the best. I would imagine it's one of the best blue cards. But I think we can learn something from from this experience, which I think is like people think about right. rock paper scissors as a healthy format. Every deck has weak. I'm starting to feel like this is really a trap uh, thought. In yeah, a, in a cube design. You don't want to flip a coin before yeah. the game right. to see if you are favored to win. So. I was talking with someone yesterday on the Discord about key design, and one of the things I said was, like, in Magic, of course, when you play the game, you're selecting your role, and the most classic example is who's the... It's more complicated than that, I think, but... You're generally considering your role, am I the aggressor or am I the defender? And every turn you make that decision based on your gameplay choices. Over the course of the game, if both players pick the same role every turn, I think that's generally a bad game match. Yeah, exactly. If it doesn't change, not if both... It's it's a fun game oh, if sure. both players think they are the aggressor or if both think they are the defender. That but if, if the dynamic <laughs> never changes over the course of the game, it feels futile. And I've been on the aggressive side so many times. And it's yeah. just like, well, I'm going to cast my cards and maybe I'll win. Oh, they wrathed? I guess I lose. I think that this cube has, the modern cube of Magic Online has a lot of that in present in it. Yeah. Maybe it's something that will figure itself out a little bit over the next days so that it's still online. I still have hopes of it shaking itself out a little bit. And it's still 
cube so as as you said before you start right. playing it even though sometimes it's a bit frustrating but to playing it we can always hope that yeah, they will I bring it see, back so and, improve it? and improve it yeah i don't know but if they listen to uh, your design ideas that we talked about now and our quick analysis of what's currently going on maybe they can find out how to fix it a little bit the, currently it feels a lot like one of the early iterations yeah, on it feels the, like classic coke cube and like if you picked up someone's random cube in 2013 this is what this is <laughs> <laughs> and for better or worse, I, the game's changed since then, and I would prefer to play yeah. the newer game. But I do understand that like there's a lot of people that don't interact with Cube on a regular basis or that, that do as like a casual pastime, and that's what they like. You know? And so it's like, why would they want the game to change? It's also interesting because I know that this cube was updated a lot recently. Apparently the last yeah. iteration of it looked very different. So I think it's particularly interesting that you seem to think it kind of went backwards, I guess, or maybe it, before it was even farther in the past. I don't really Cube does do a good job of it, but I also think that there's such a thing as taking it too far. And I think this is actually something that you mentioned about the, the modern cube. The idea of like, well, I can just play a card that like validates every card played before. I think that there is a sweet spot for that. And it sounds like, again, from, from what Jakob said, because I don't have enough reps to weigh in, but maybe maybe I'll join in tomorrow. I'm not totally sure. <laughs> sure, man. We got an open spot. Yeah, I, I do think that from the sound of it, you are in that sweet spot. Well, ultimately, it's not a card choice thing, right? right? It's like uh, a design philosophy, yeah. yeah. Structural level, yeah. It just currently, I feel like it's trying to decide, oh, these colors are right. like different macro archetypes. These colors are more aggro, these colors are like mid-range ramp, and these colors are control. Let's fill it with cards that roughly fit those descriptions. And Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I also wonder how much time they really have to spend on this stuff anyway. You know, they are a business that has other, op that has other responsibilities. And so do they really give? Yeah. I'm sure somebody. Yeah, somebody I don't really mean to... a lot of time and effort in this, and it's. I have to say, it's yeah, horrible. It's, it's good for I, sure. I don't mean to short sell them their work, but, but they no, no. But I'm also sure that they didn't have a chance to play test it for half a year or yeah. a year with always eight people and discuss all of that with everybody. I think yeah. that is something that they probably couldn't do. And now that they will, if they get a lot of data now and then look at that and maybe they will come to some very good and all the magic online cubes if they got a relatively recent like relatively quick return on magic online they always sure. i i guess i do have one hot take quality. which is that i'm not sure playtesting really garners much value you could look at this list and pretty much predict what was going to happen and you didn't need play the games because yeah. the qualifier there is that like we've all played thousands it can of show it, yeah but you think about an idea you build it up and you don't necessarily notice the problems the frustrations that will appear to players with that you think about it in some way and then sometimes you just need some somebody right. to or, or some data both can work to just stop you and well i think and i think that one thing that can happen with that happen. is that if you have a particular deck that you like to play as a, as a style you might not point to a couple specific cards as being problematic because you just think like well i played this deck and i lose sometimes uh, and this deck is this card is just fine and the cards i point to as being emblematic of that this is of course a different power level but chemistry's insight like if i see chemistry's insight in a cube i just never want to play creatures because the control deck is probably way too good <laughs> the card has been um wait am i thinking the right card is that the jumpstart thing yeah okay yeah it's yeah, a jumpstart what is, what is, card. The card has been in my peasant cube for a while yeah. and i think it's been not seen but maybe i'm wrong <laughs> no, it's it's just, it could be fine, right? But like, it's to me, it's a red flag. And like, you have to look at the other elements that surround it. How good is Drago in this format? Because that card is probably going to be not the only card, right? 
and then like what's paired with that and then that that could easily make draw go to yeah but like draw just gets bad if everybody is relatively early playing to the board like every deck is doing that and i think that's in part what's happening right like there's no real draw it depends on your other interaction so there's always qualifiers of course but like i've played a lot of cubes of chemistry's insight and you're just like Remove a spell, remove a spell, chemistry's insight, jump start chemistry's insight, two for one creature, win the game. <laughs> I mean, it is in my cube, and I feel like the controlish deck is the one that is currently, like, or the controlish blue deck, I say, is the one I that's currently having put your cube on far the behind side, everything. Because like, a lot of your creature cards are value-oriented. Yeah, and it's the right. one deck that doesn't harvest synergy, the only one. Right. And all the others do. And as far as playtesting is concerned, I'm very happy to make changes after one draft because, like, so many times you see something in action, you're like, well, that's clearly wrong, or like, that's not good enough, or like, it, you don't. The sniff test is usually pretty good. You know, we did the, the draft of Jakob's Peasant yep. Cube, and I asked you about your deck, and you gave me an answer that I think was intentionally ambiguous. And I, <laughs> I just want to, because I don't think I got the images um, of your deck, I just want to know, like, how did it play out exactly? Like, what was going on there? I can tell you exactly what the draft, what happened in the draft, is I opened up Lingering Souls. I'm like, there's no way this, this is not in the top five best cards in the cube. <laughs> so I took it. And then from that point on, I took every single sweeper I saw. And so the only sweeper that was left in the queue was Dak. I, I had the list up. And so Dakmore Plague was the only live sweeper because I took every every one of the rest of them. <laughs> so you hate pick the sweepers and uh, <laughs> and made exactly. sure that yeah, exactly. the, the white flyers. Okay. And uh, <laughs> well, lingering the souls team, is a nice card, man. Like I went like lingering. <laughs> I went like lingering souls into. Yeah, it is. I don't remember if it's like car, but then I got midnight, uh, midnight haunting, oh. and I was like, "Well, this just seems crazy." Oh, and I got battle screech too. Yeah, that's the game you won against me, where you where you cast lingering souls, <laughs> battle screech, lingering souls, flashback. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, the that game you sense. won against me because I was not. But fast the light game thing was I knew. Okay, so I, I don't. Is my deck? I don't remember. Uh, I knew that if I just stalled long enough, that no deck. The the exception was Jakob's deck full of eight eights. Yeah, um. yeah, the eight eights. <laughs> I thought I really had a good deck, but yeah, I mean, you guys were the ones who met in the finals. I I did the eight eights first for anyone who. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as far as this deck is concerned, I knew um, I I went lingering souls. Midnight Haunting, Falconroth Noble. Mm. And I was like, I've played a lot of Peasant Cube in my time, yeah. and basically no one can beat Falconroth Noble. <laughs> if there was ever a card that should say once per turn on it, it is Falconroth <laughs> And so I knew at that point, all I have to do is get these cards in play, and then I will win the game. So I, I took any kind of, I, again, I hate-picked every sweeper I saw, and then I took any kind of delay cards and removal. And so I have like Nyx Fleece Ram and Soul Warden. I'm just going to gain a bunch of life. And then by the time my, my opponent, by the time my stuff's online, I'm still at like 15 to 20 life. And then like, it's unlikely that in combination with that, my opponent can beat the Hondans because I have three shrines. Like the green Honden just makes one ones every turn. And then eventually like, I never beat anyone with it, but Sanguine Bond is also kind of like a combo kill. Yeah. So it's just like, I'm first picking Lingering Souls, one of the best possible cards I can play with. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it worked out for you really well. Jakob's deck was just, the speed was like incredible. So, yeah. um, but I, I don't know, I liked my deck a lot, but now hearing you talk about yours and like looking at it, it's like, I don't think this would have been a good matchup for me. I think I would have gotten 
brushed. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you kind of have to specifically have what Jakob did, which is very big creatures. Yeah. Or just like, I mean, the, the cards you hate drafted, right? All the sweepers. Did you draft <laughs> um, uh, Savage Twister, by the way? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was one I was hoping to wheel a little greedily. I probably should have just taken it the first time around. <laughs> but now that I know that people are hate drafting it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, yeah, like I said, I, I had this card, which is like, it's like a huge power outlier. It doesn't matter what other cards are in this cube. If you take the entirety of Uncommons and Commons and Magic, Glindering Souls is just one of the best ones. Yep. And people struggle to beat it in Vintage Cube sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And like, it was a great card in Modern for a long time. I guess it kind of makes me want to return to something you were saying before, because before you were saying like, your hot take is that there isn't much value in playtesting. But I feel like, like right. me looking at my deck and like looking at your deck, it's like totally different when I am doing that on my own versus like hearing you talk about like the way your your games played out then it's like oh so my only ways to win are like i have to board in my spider i have to like land one of my reach creatures i have to find my spike shot and somehow have enough time to shoot down your one ones and right. you need to not disrupt any of my reach creatures or my <laughs> yeah like so i guess my my counterpoint would be like I think playtesting probably is not as effective for you <laughs> because I think you have played enough magic to the point where you can visualize this stuff really well. But I think, I don't know, I just, frankly, I don't think everyone can do that. <laughs> so... Oh, that's a, that's a fair point. And that's not even to say much about like my own skill. My my skill in playing magic is not pretty high actually. But like I've just played a lot of it. So I've seen a lot of a lot of how these games play out. Sure. The thing about the playtesting is like a lot of people like you'll make changes and then you'll play a draft and then make changes after and other people will say like, Well, you don't even know the effect of those changes. Like, I have two counter arguments to that, which is one, like I can kind of see that like we've played hundreds of th or thousands of cube matches between all of us, right? And like we can take our past experience and we don't have to take this as a truly singular experience. Th th that one draft is not not the only data set we have, even though it is truly the only data set of that, that cube. We've th done thousands of cube drafts. So there's nothing that's so different about this one that we can't, we can't not use our past experience. If a cube is so drastically different, that's a different story. Right, for sure. That's why, I don't know, I think that's one of the appeals to me about building these like soup off the wall cubes, the things that like nobody's mm -hmm. done before kind of stuff, or just like maybe some people have done it, but overall like the repetitions, there are very few of them. So it's like a new experience to, to draft a cube full of one mana cards or whatever it is. Yeah, that's different. That's totally different. And it's crazy too. Like it's it's a really wild form of magic. Um, I'm hoping to draft that again soon, but, but to return to something a little more relevant to you, I was wondering um, that Innistrad cube you mentioned. I mean, today is, you know, first day of October. Do you have any interest in oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> reviving that cube at all? Drafting Innistrad? Like it, I have a list. I built this in fall of 2020. It's pretty fun. I talked to you recently about Supreme Draft in Innistrad, mm. and that's kind of like how I want to participate with this because it's just like a fun casual event and it's difficult to get eight people player together and it's also one of the nice things about vintage cubes more people want to play it yeah and you have to you have to hustle a little bit less for your kind of niche cube. yeah that's definitely uh, true but like innistrad it more or less contains the entirety of magic because of its use of the graveyard it it kind of does everything any ma existing magic deck has ever and so there's reanimator aspects there's like self mill there's there's even storm like because blue red spells is effectively stored. Sure. And so like 
Innistrad as a limited format, especially if you go like the super limited format of combining them all together, it's a it's a really fun way to have like a thematic, consistent game that offers you really all that magic has to offer. As far as drafting it, I wouldn't be opposed. I'd, I'd have to look at this list again to see if I wanted to change anything. I did intentionally leave out like the best constructors. I think my question, it was more like, do you have any interest in this? Obviously, like your modern vintage cube is like your pride and joy, but right. do you ever yourself interested in these other projects or are you mainly just you know concentrated on the the cube you're you know constantly uh curating and drafting and providing coverage of at the moment no but i i have built many different cubes in the past it's not to say i won't do it again the last thing i was on was a two-headed giant cube but i kind of am like 50 percent of the way done now i thought when i was considered going to kubecon it ended up working out better to go but uh, I thought the best possible cube to bring would be a two-headed giant cube because mm-hmm. it really maximizes, to me, at a convention, you want to have a special event, like something that's truly unique, not just like a fun instance of something you do regularly. You want to have something that is so different than anything you've done at home. That's why you went there. That was like the appeal of Mystery Booster because yeah. when it first came out, it was like you had to go to the G to play it. And so a two-headed giant cube struck me as being a really fun way to do that because there are rules for two-headed giant draft. You could just bring you pair up with a buddy or if you're by yourself, you can find another person, you can meet a friend this way, and then you can play a, a two-headed giant draft and have a completely wacky game of magic. <laughs> yeah, wacky does seem like the right word for that. That's just a great point. The appeal of a unique experience at conventions, especially for someone like me who has really gone to almost no like paper events. Mm-hmm. I'm also wondering just the the tie-in here. Jakob said at the beginning of the, the episode that, you know, we were pretty much just going to be talking about Cube during this. But I'm curious. I think, you know, it would be probably pretty insightful for me listening to to someone who's won a lot of these chaos drafts in our server, but also like I'm just curious. What are your thoughts on Chaos Draft? Because I feel like a lot of people so squarely in like the Vintage Cube space don't really care for Chaos Draft at all. But it seems like something that you enjoy, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, obviously you do (laughs) have some good results. So we actually Chaos Drafted last night. Not exactly. I have a pile of cards in a box. That was just like stuff that I chucked in like draft commons and old like bones from old cubes and stuff like that. So I just tidied it all up and made a big stack of cards and we drafted it. And it's really fun. And I weeded out like the true unplayables. And of course, anything that's actually good is in a binder, right? So it's not going to be in there, but there are rares. Like there are plenty of Mm -hmm. rares. And it's very much like a Chaos Draft, though it's a little more juiced than that because the the unplayables are gone. I really love Chaos Draft, but I've also played Magic basically the entire time. (laughs) And so there is like this inherent advantage of knowing like, oh, there's a probe in this pack? Holy (laughs) crap. Yeah. For sure. Like, I don't know, I think a great example for me would be like Leon and Bola. Like when I first started like oh, yeah. crafting, like I had never seen that card before, but I had seen Numat like take it super highly. And I was like, well, Numat likes it, so it must be good. And then after a week of these Mirrodin drafts, it's like, I've played with Bola. It's been excellent before. Now I have an idea of like exactly how good it is. And yeah, I guess you just exactly. pretty much get that with almost every powerful common. I don't know if I have a Chaos Draft strategy, though I am excited for it to come back on Magic Online. I will definitely play yeah. it. I think a lot of Chaos Draft, one of the defining factors of it is some of the packs are so bad. They're so bad. And your success and failure rate, one will be tied to like, did you open a bomb rare? And to be fair, some of these drafts I have won, like I had Form of the Dragon. That card is unbeatable. But that one I think is really, I agree it's a bomb, 
But juxtaposing that with like the did you open a bomb rare, I feel like is really misleading, right? Because when did you, you sure. didn't open that? It got passed to you like how late? Do you remember? It's pack three. Pick oh. two. I was already in kind of Boros and I was like, well, I got to take this card. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So it didn't, like, go and then right. I opened increasing confusion. So a lot of these decks have had good rares, but other people have good rares too, you know? So it's, it's not all of it. It's a lot about how do you maximize the bad packs because you have to deal with right. them and you can't just lose six picks in a draft yeah i love maxing bad packs so, yeah and one of the i won two in a draft recently when we played and that was like a sweet Golgari deck but in that deck i considered playing mercenaries we talked about rebels yeah. earlier they're much worse cousin is mercenaries <laughs> yeah but i had like randomly had three awful cards from mass yeah but they were mercenaries and they could tutor each other and i was like well card advantage is yeah, good mercenaries are so funky because like you know they're not only worse than rebels in like the direction they tutor but like a lot of the cards are just terrible <laughs> <laughs> they're very yeah. bad something interesting though something that i didn't really think about before about chaos draft that i probably should have i was in a mirrodin draft recently next to tim and mm -hmm. like we did the draft and then afterward tim came to my chat and he said something like man it's really not a fun time to sit next to you during a draft or something like that there are no good cards for me <laughs> even though i felt like i passed him like a pyrite yeah. spell bomb here and there that kind of thing and it just kind of made me rethink my kind of goal or like strategy game plan of like chaos draft even though i'm like doing the same thing trying to take the best card what i'm really doing is trying to make the pack as bad as possible for everyone else like it's, you know it's very much like a zero something in that sense and i don't know i think um it's basically it's it's you and your savage twisters again it's like right i'm doing the strongest thing i'm gonna make sure that that no one can stop <laughs> also like it maybe plays to one of the things i like to do in magic which is try to find value in really small areas yeah. And kind of have to do that in Chaos Draft. And so, like, if you're like, okay, well, if I can trigger this Constellation card one time, <laughs> yeah, then it's going to pay off. So I'm going to take this really weak aura or something. I'll take Angelic Wings or whatever, the cantripping flight aura. I get my aura. one splice onto Arcane. I've turned my, like, Disentomb into a Recover. Like, yeah. Exactly. Those things really matter. Especially because, like, the threats are generally bad and the games are going to go long. One of the things that's true about older formats is that sideboard cards matter a lot more in, in draft because because the threats are worse, the games go longer, and you probably see about half your deck on average, whereas today you tend to see like 15 cards. Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to talk about like the actual like kind or quality of sideboard cards, like circles of protection. Well, that too. But, that, <laughs> <laughs> but there's one, this is kind of off the topic of chaos, but not exactly. So, stuff like Invasion and Mirrodin, I don't know, like Tempest, they have these kind of format-defining defensive locks. Like in Invasion, you have Flag Bearers and Semi-Healer. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then in uh, Tempest, there's a card called Angelic Protector, which is a 2-2 two, two for 4. Whenever it's targeted, it gets plus 0, plus 2. Mm -hmm. But you pair that with like an Encore. Oh, so it's an infinite sick. toughness. <laughs> but those combos don't win the game at the same time. They just stop your opponent yeah. from winning. And so your opponent has opportunities to draw out of it. And that's that's the tension of those other formats. Is like because you're not dying so fast, you have so many more draw steps. And it's not about like the sick play in the moment. It's about the long term. Am I going to can I craft a situation where I can survive long enough to draw my right. out? Because that's that's a real possibility. That's so much harder to do and like prolong the game. Yeah, for sure. 
without giving up too many resources. What do you think the effect of that kind of thing is on the game? Like, because I think you could argue that seeing less of your deck makes an individual card less important. But I don't know if that, like, do you have any, like feelings about whether that's like a good or bad thing well i did tweet yesterday that consistency makes magical worse game but i do think that seeing more of your deck is better it's just that when you do it out on natural pace mm -hmm. that the game gets worse yeah. it's nice to have uh, creatures having lower power just means that you have more opportunities to use the resources you came to the table with yeah and also some of your decisions some of your sacrifices are not so bad like today if you're playing a draft format and you chump lock once that's kind of game over. Like, not exactly, but you can't just throw away cards like that. And at the same time, the creatures are so powerful, literally in their power stat, that you are forced to do that more yeah. often. And so you can't just take a hit. And in older formats, you can go down to like 12 or 10 before you have to start thinking about, okay, I got to throw this card away. Yep. Whereas now it's like, oh man, they have two six sixes, right? Like, what am I going to yeah, do? They play this two drop root Walla and it's attacking for seven. <laughs> like, Right, like, I guess I have to throw this creature away. and But then uh, by that point, you're just discarding a card every turn and spending mana to discard that card at that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. I don't know, I love old magic, which is such an awkward thing for me because I wasn't really there for much of it. But mm -hmm. just feel like the, the pace of games now, like, it's so fast. You have to be playing first every single time. You have to be adding to the board. Like, you have to be making sure you don't get run over. Oh, by the way, did you see my uh, <laughs> my playing uh, versus drawing first, like, poll on my oh i did yeah i thought i actually thought about that personally when i was doing the mirrored draft i was like why am i not drawing first <laughs> like they're not gonna kill me <laughs> yeah pretty much right like it's a question of does your curve start at three and if your answer is no then like you can probably afford to draw first. if you you know if you have some two drops in the mix and like maybe you have some pyrite spell bombs that kind of thing that going decays um mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i just I think it's interesting because um almost 30% of people like said they would never draw first. <laughs> and that's just I don't know. I feel like if anything represents like today's magic it's that, right? Because in old magic that wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it's interesting. Like, talking to Opa recently is the number of times he's talked about, Oh, this is a draw first deck. It's like, that's why you're better than me <laughs> because I would never ever do that today. Yeah. And yet, he's probably correct. Opa has like amazing tuition that has to be like one of his strongest parts of his game. Sort of like what I hear from you, like, as if you have to be willing to challenge commonly accepted notions or you're like not going to learn anything. If you drafted Vintage Cube as if Ancestral and Time Walk were the best cards, you would never have learned anything different. When you say that like you're taking Solitude over Ragavan and whatever, like you're not doing it because you don't know how powerful the blue card is. You're doing it because you know how powerful Solitude oh, yeah. is in addition to <laughs> like the blue cards. So That's told to me so many times. And I'm like, the number of times, for instance, I passed Strip Mine, mm -hmm. and they're like, why are you passing Strip Mine? And I'm like, it's not that good. <laughs> And they're like, oh, it's really good. And I'm like, are you are you saying that you think I've like never played strip mine before? It's fine. <laughs> so there's always I do these things, and there seems to be the perception that I'm just not aware of the other yeah. cards. But I've cast them before. You know, it's just I have an opinion about their ranking. Yeah. That's all. I think part of the struggle is like the difficulty in like articulating the respective power level of the card, the play patterns, experiences, and stuff. They're saying like this is good, and you're like, no, it's not good. Like, <laughs> you know, there's right. <laughs> there's no room for like any back and forth there understanding why solitude is better than ancestral let's just assume i'm correct fine or whatever i think it's like one final thought about that 
about like the issues of overwhelming value on a magic card is I think any game that ends in a concession is a failed game. <laughs> unless you're literally conceding like Splinter Twin or, or something like, like that. the lethal damage is but, on the stack kind of thing, right? Exactly. Right. So like if you're conceding simply because you're so far behind in value that you can never catch up, like that's like a game design flaw to me. Because the person who's that far ahead should have won the game by that. So what about the the scenario where like I missed three land drops in a race? Uh, sure. Let's yeah. say and you know I'm not usually the type of person to scoop in that scenario, but let's say I am for this. Like is that is that a game design issue or what? Uh, I guess some people would argue that mana is an issue, but no, no, I guess I mean more like, not to qualify my absolute statement, but uh, the example to me in Constructed is like Omnath. Oh. It's like, okay, they cast yeah. Omnath. I'm a mono like, red deck. Yeah. Why am I still playing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I think that makes and sense. Basically, it sounds like what you're saying is like, you know, in the context of a non-game, like, or what, sorry. Exactly. Yeah, I, I said the opposite of what I meant. Like, assuming it's not a non-game. In the context of a right. competitive game, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Omnath seems like a, uh, I don't know, a villain, some kind of, definitely something capable. So like, uh, yeah. in a lot of board games, particularly older board games, like these kind of strategy games like Axis and Allies or Twilight Imperium, one of the as fun as those games are, one of their huge flaws is that the winner is basically known by halfway through the game, but the game's right. not over. And so you're asking people to play four more hours of this game, and they know they or can't win. Food. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's the game board game design has tried to move away from that in one way or another through a very variety of systems. To a degree, it's impossible to avoid uh, without having like pure randomness to determine the winner. But they've moved away from it to a large degree. And I think magic still suffers from it pretty badly, particularly if you're playing small formats with newer cards. Mm -hmm. And I said on Twitter yesterday, like, uh, people love to hit on Planeswalkers, but it's really the Titans that change magic forever. Like Planeswalkers are ultimately just more enchantments. They're very small incremental value, and there's different methods to interact with them. But Titans, like they, they put the opponent two steps behind, and if it was the only card that did that in their deck, that might be okay. But like the existence of them means that you're probably just going to play your deck with all of those. And like at that point, it's just a cascading value sequence in which you can never recover. And like you may as well concede because you can't win the yeah, game. Yeah, makes sense. I was watching a, a game of Modern Cube recently, and uh, a streamer went Grave Titan, opponent went Phyrexian Metamorph, copy Grave Titan, and the streamer went Inferno Titan. It's like, well, <laughs> maybe you're able to recover <laughs> right. Grave Titan, but not not the second. Right. And that is kind of the beauty of Cube is you can restrict those things, right? Like you can say, there's going to be some of these cards in, but like let's let's narrow the quantity down because they're necessary. Like Tovalar's Huntmaster is a great card for green because it's green struggles to deal with the go wide aggro and then just playing this card that builds an army for you is really nice. But like there's a point when you have too many of those cards available and now creatures are terrible. Yeah. I'm curious by the way, speaking of um of the Huntmaster for this. Oh, there we go. Uh, Earthshaker Giant apparently the card name for it. Is that something oh, yeah. you've ever considered for your cube? Uh no. But it's a cool card. It's like an overrun. Yeah, like creature. Colossal Dreadmaw plus overrun. I don't think green works like this yeah. anymore. Even though the, like uh, Craterhoof just wins mm -hmm. the game. Craterhoof is like, only needs usually one other creature to attack. Whereas Earthshaker Giant, like usually you have elves that are ramping out. Like you would want to play elves in this deck, right? Because you need to have massive creatures in play. But then in order for you to cast it ahead of curve, you're going to have to tap those elves. And so you're not getting the yeah, benefit. Yeah. They're, 
in ancient history, green decks used to be truly beatdown decks in which you'd play like twos and threes, like Nine Man Stompy with ro- Rogue Elephant yeah. and stuff like that, in which an effect like this would be powerful because you have a huge board. That's just not really how green plays anymore. Green's like ramp creature, ramp creature, big creature. I guess that actually highlights like why hunt, because like you're, you know, the same right. elves that you couldn't attack with if you're playing uh, Earthshaker, like those elves are now tapped and can't block, but you are making wolves which can block it. Okay, well, I feel like I've kept you here for a long time. <laughs> I mean, this episode so it's been a long time uh, in the making. You've been really awesome participant in the, the community here for a while. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm always looking forward to see what you do next, usually on your stream, <laughs> whether it's, uh, you know, Dominaria or your Vintage Cube drafts, whether you're participating or commentating for that. I'll put your stream and Twitter info that can be up, of course. You can watch all that lovely content. Uh, any any last thoughts before we wrap up? I don't know. So Vintage Cube is coming up in a couple months, right? right? And uh, I don't know, just give it a shot. Just uh, one thing I said a long time ago, not that long, like two months, is uh, you know, just take Lightning Bolt over Ancestral and see, <laughs> see where that goes. Remember that the game is about mana, and every time you attack with a creature, you're generating mana because you're getting a game effect. Right? And ultimately, you spend mana to get game effects, and creatures give you a game effect every turn, whether it be blocking or attack. So every creature is a mana creature. Yeah, I guess when you put it like that, mana dork is redundant, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for the, I mean, the words of wisdom, for sure. I know you think about cube in a way that's very different from a lot of people. So they'll enjoy this. And yeah, once again, just thanks for uh, for joining us on the show. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. You know, as we mentioned, Discord is an open community. If you'd like to join, you can. If you don't want to, no pressure. <laughs> it can be intimidating to jump into a space of you know so many people and yeah, regardless, just hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for checking it out. Happy cubing and bye-bye. All right, I will leave, but you keep talking. Uh, just put a happy cubing and see you next time. Okay. Here, and then I'll cut that out later and it would seem like I was here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks for being here. All right. Bye-bye.